Hello, friends. Perhaps because of all the New Year's excitement, I recorded this episode with the wrong microphone, so all of my audio sounds really weird. Thank you all for listening. Oh, man. How did we get out here? Whoa. I think we finally found it. Maybe. Yeah, it looks really blue. It looks like the ocean. Dun, dun, oh my gosh. Dun. Is it What's our ocean? all that other stuff out there? Our oh ocean. no, wait. Our generic ocean. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, that one that we have. No, well, I think it's not the one that we own. It's not the I ocean, it's, it's an ocean, right? Yeah, it's probably someone else's ocean. Looking for an ocean. <laughs> yeah. Um, we found an ocean. Hey, but do you know what else I... full of... Do you know what else I see? What? Yeah, what? I see you. Oh. <laughs> well, here we are, everyone. You're probably wondering what's going on. Well, probably not, because you saw the title of the episode. It's it's, but it's 2023, almost. If you, like me, forgot for a moment one of the classic lines from Avatar 2, The Way of Water. Uh, we're talking about Avatar 2, The Way of Water. It's also titled... That's where that was from. I think I see you as the most iconic line from the first movie, besides, of course, We're not in Kansas anymore! Uh, uh, I don't remember, because I watched 1 and 2 very close together to prep for this, so it's they kind of blend together. Well, I see you. I wish I knew the Navi for it. You know, earlier this year, in the maybe it was on this podcast, I was very fascinated by the fact that Wikipedia... I think this was during the um, re-release. I noticed that Wikipedia has like an entire article about the Navi grammar. Not the Navi language. It does have one for the Navi language. But the fact that it has one for the grammar was very interesting to me. Um, not that I know the Navi language. <laughs> should I learn, guys? <laughs> Do you think it would be good to have in my back pocket? I don't think you should learn. I don't know who should learn the Navi language. It would be neat to learn about. But I'm very curious about... I'm curious about diver sign language, because I wonder if it's, you know, if it's, like, they're ones that are more French or more English. I think if I and... remember, right, and we can get into this when we get to our main topic, which is, in fact, Avatar The Way of Water. Um, I remember reading that C.J. Jones, who's the actor from Baby Driver, um, who does, like, who's, like, Baby Driver's dad in that movie, I believe he was brought on board to come up with some Navi sign language. Um, for the movie, because obviously if the Navi are going to have their own language, they have their own sign language, because otherwise it's like, what the hell? Like, you know, it'd be very weird if they were just doing a already created form of sign language. If we've already gone yeah. to so much effort to give them their own language. Yeah. But before we talk about that, this is also our New Year's special, which means since it's been long enough since the intro music, I can finally start singing, For all the acquaintance be forgot and duh for those inclined is is that the lyrics i don't know i just made it up oh that's fine you, know, you normally get pretty drunk before you sing that song or you are watching it's a wonderful life and the subtitles come up and you feel the urge to sing along scuba divers have their very own sign language it's called scuba sign <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if that's what is used for Avatar the way. I mean, I'm sure eventually there'll be like a big breakdown of the sign language. Like there was a big breakdown for the um original language. I don't know if it's happened yet, though. I'm sure there's a, I mean, there's got to be a book that's like about that whole thing. That's to talk about the movie 
and kind of go in a weird order of everything. That's one of my favorite parts of the original movie is when they pull out the textbook for the Navi and it looks like an actual textbook. That's very cool to me. I mean, I think in general, I mean, we can, we'll can we get into it more later. I think what's what makes Avatar so cool as a franchise to me is how very detail-oriented it is in a way that not even, like, the Star Wars prequels are. Because, you know, the Star Wars prequels are kind of the same thing where, like, George Lucas is like, here's exactly how this machinery works, and it's very cool. I think Avatar is that, but, like, up to 11. <laughs> and I yeah. kind of really appreciate that about it. But what else? What have you been up to that's not Avatar related? Now well, that we're in the new year and the Christmas time. I was going to ask you how your Christmas was, but I can go first. Um, it's oh. it's no no no. <laughs> that made me sound like I was trying to guilt you. It's like, I figured we were both going to talk about our Christmases. Um, oh no! You know, I mean, it's just yeah. what'd it you would, do? Well, first I drove in the snow. Well, I drove to my brother's house in the snowstorm. Then my older brother drove us home afterwards to Indiana, and then we kind of were snowed in for a lot of it. Um. And then we went to go see the Fablemans, uh, which was a nice family outing. I actually was going to show off a present to you because you know how last week I was listening to our podcast earlier today. Um, very rare that we are recording it so soon to um, the release of our other podcast. I can say this, but there was a part of it where it's like, I'm always like, you know, I always get exactly what I want on my list and I'm never surprised anymore. I'm never happy about anything anymore. But look at what my brother got me. And I'll, I'll describe to the listeners. Don't worry. He got me this wall art. Of the music box that I think is really cool. He found it at an art show. Oh, that is really nice. So I'm like, nice. It's, ni- it's a nice, framed like, frame, and it's got some glass on it. It says uh, nice... Truffaut Fest, and it's during an Orson Welles Fest. I don't think this ever actually happened, because I don't usually do multiple filmmaker retrospectives. And... But, you know, it's cool. I, I mean, yeah. I think the painting's really beautiful. So it's nice. And yeah. I got a lot of other gifts, too, that I actually, like, really like, too. But all the other stuff I got was stuff I was... Well... It, it was all stuff I was expecting, but to different quantities than what I was expecting. So that also is always nice, too, where it's like, whoa, you're giving me this much of what I asked for? That's cool. But, you know, Christmas is about getting things. It's not about giving things. And I gave my mom a meat thermometer, so. Oh, that's a good buy. Yeah, I gave, well, now now, now that we're here, I can reveal everything that I gave my parents as a follow-up. Everyone I gave, everything I gave my family. I gave. Mm, one week later. Uh, all right, all right, here we go. So first off, I gave... Um, well, I haven't given Julius it yet, but by the time this episode is out, Julius will have received it. Um, a copy of Malcolm X on 4K, the Criterion release. Um, for my bad movie gift exchange, I gave Moonfall and Morbius to two separate people. Um, from back, I got the Nutjob family pack of Nutjob 1 and 2, and the other one hasn't arrived in the mail yet. Um, then I also gave my friend Michaela, we'll be on this eventually, I gave her Nope on DVD, because she only has a DVD player, and I always give her a movie we saw that year. i trying to remember who my third... I think that was one of my three friends. And then for my family, I gave my mom the meat thermometer, my dad a year's for consumer reports, which she never asked for, but my mom always points out he wants it. Um, I gave my aunt something that is still arriving in the mail, which is a series of indexing tabs for the Catholic Church. I gave my brother... I said this last week. I gave him Sound of Metal on Blu-ray, and I gave my older brother... A privacy screen for his iPhone and a life straw, which is something I did not know existed, but it looks kind of cool. But I also think kind of sounds sketchy. I wouldn't use it myself. Do you know what a life straw is? Yeah, I think they work. Okay, well, my brother asked for it. I was like, I've never heard of this before. So another uh, something I would never personally want to use, but I do think that they actually like kind of do what they say they're going to do. 
My brother hikes a lot. Uh, for the listeners at home, a life straw is a straw that you can just stick into like any drinking water and it's supposed to filter it while you drink it. So like my brother who hikes a lot, he might just want to like go like, oh, I'm really thirsty. Let me go drink some river water. That there, there you go. He's got a life straw. So yeah, yeah. It amazes me. I was watching Silence the other day, Great film. and you know every time they go for the river water, it. I don't know. I can't believe people still do that or have done that. But yeah. Well, I was talking about media watching over the holidays. The weird thing I did was I rewatched all of season one of Ted Lasso because my I just put it on one afternoon. Well, it was like the first night I came back. My mom's like, I don't want to watch a movie. I'm too tired. Let's just watch an episode of TV. And I put on Ted Lasso. And then she watched four episodes of Ted Lasso. And then we just kind of were like, we have to finish season one before we leave because otherwise we're never going to, mom's never going to know how it ends. And, mm. you know, it's a really interesting experience because you watched Ted Lasso. No, I don't have Apple TV. Oh, okay. Well, sometimes it's, it's like the thing they give out for free. I've noticed like on planes, it's like you can watch season one of Ted Lasso because you got to subscribe for season two. But anyway, the interesting thing I found out about it is my dad kind of has this reaction to anything about divorce where he's just like, this is so depressing. I'm like, what do you, and he's like, I don't know. He was like, I don't get why we're not getting their backstory on why they felt their relationship fall apart. I'm like, because it's not about that. It's about the soccer team. We're not going to cut back to his wife in Kentucky trying to figure out where her marriage went wrong because that's not what this show is. He's like, I just don't think that's very honest with the audience. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. And this was a very interesting lead up to him picking the Fablemans. So I'm like, you, you do know this is like about a divorce, right? And he's like, oh yeah, I do. And then I, when we left the movie, I'm like, I'm up there to get to a 5 out of 5. It's like, oh, it's too dismal to be a 5 out of 5 for me. I'm like, well, I don't know what you're expecting. <laughs> like, you know, like, it's about divorce. <laughs> and this then is what you wanted. Apparently on the car ride back, because I rode with my mom and my aunt back from the Fablemans, my brothers convinced him, no, it was a good movie. You're just being ridiculous because you expect in the 1960s for all these mechanisms to be in place. So he's like, why didn't they go to couples therapy? Like, cause it wasn't like, it wasn't a big thing in 1962. So that's probably why. <laughs> Also, I mean, I won't get too much in the Fablemans talk because I know you haven't seen it yet still, but like, it's something where I think it's really funny to say, to like look at the movie and like imply that it's pro-divorce or like it does. I think the Fablemans actually very weirdly takes a very clear side on which is the guilty party in this divorce happening, um, which I think is interesting, but also it's like, I don't see how anyone can take away the movie going like, go from the movies like, well, this was an amicable divorce and everyone's happy about it because it's very clear one person is very happy about it and the other person is emotionally destroyed by it. Um, so it's like, no, I mean, it's not happy. So like, what, what were you expecting? You know, but all this to say is my mom liked Ted Lasso, but my dad gave up on it after like five episodes. But after five episodes, he was. Well, okay, he wasn't watching it, like, a lot. He, like, he kept coming in and out, and then after five episodes, he was just like, nah, this is dumb. And he, like, slammed the door to his room on his way out. I'm just like, I don't know what you, like, I don't know, like, it's a soccer show. I don't know why you expect this to be this great work about how couples need to work their way through a divorce. (laughs) Because that's not what this show was ever marketed as. And it's not what this show should be, because this show's got a lot more stuff on its mind than that. I like Ted Lasso. I'm basic. Sorry. How was your Christmas yeah. break? I mean, you know, it's not about being basic. It's who who on earth has Apple TV? That's I do because I got really it. You get it for free when you get a new iPhone for like six months, and then I just kept it because Ted Lasso's like. And honestly, 
I mean, they might be upping the rate now, but for a while, I think it was like five bucks a month. And to me, like five bucks a month is nothing compared to some of my other services. To have like Ted Lasso available and like basically a movie a month that I'm interested in. Sure, I'll keep Apple TV. Did you watch The Foundation, which is the other thing that I know exists? No, I haven't watched that. I need to watch Severance on it, though. That's really the big show I want to watch. Oh, that's right. That's the other one that... Well, Foundation is a show on it. I'm sure it's mid... Um, yeah. Severance I want to check out and I want to also check out the after party still because that's Phil Lord's show that's on it that he directed every episode of so mm. but I don't know I'm very I'm a very um, as someone who's cancelled HBO Max cancelled their Hulu like you know I cancel all my services I've never felt any reason to cancel my Apple TV because it's like it's too cheap for me to really like want to cancel you know Spoiler alert, you use my Hulu and HBO Max. It's true. Well, to be what fair, you, okay. What do you mean you cancel? Well, I canceled my HBO Max because my... Uh, uh, the re- Okay. I canceled my HBO Max because my partners with it canceled on me. So it's like, well, I can't pay $15 a month for this now. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate your HBO Max and your Hulu. And also, I let you use my Disney Plus, so we do we do trade. We do. Well, I'm just like you're making a you're taking a big moral stance, and I'm like I'm not taking a big. Oh, I'm just not. saying it's not. I'm saying if Apple TV Plus increased to ten dollars a month, I would 100 percent cancel it. But like, mm-hmm. if HBO Max yeah. is going to cost me fifteen dollars a month, hell no, I'm not going to spend that much money on HBO Max a month. Yeah, I mean, even then, it's like I don't know. It's a good deal, but you just kind of jump around a lot i don't know what it's i need to do is actually like, you know my most embarrassing subscription i still have is i still subscribe to nintendo online despite the fact that i haven't opened up my switch since july 2020 so i really need to just find a way to log on and be like please stop giving nintendo because I mean, it's like oh it's six bucks a month it's nothing it's like oh i had it for like two years so that's like it's a lot of money now that i've lost to nintendo it's not like they're a struggling business or anything so, how was you your feel Christmas? like you're part of that club? That special Nintendo club? I don't like or do you Nintendo. need to... Oh. I'm kidding. They're okay. How was your Christmas? My Christmas... Uh, I've been hopping around, having dinners with people, but the Christmas evening was just... I was serving um, dinner at this rich family's home, and I tell yeah. you, what a wild time that is. You get to hear rich people... Talk about, complain about why other people get mad that they get special treatment. Like, <laughs> you you know, they live in a house that costs like a million dollars next to Central Park, and it basically looks like my grandparents' house. That's and funny. I'm just like, what what kind of world am I in right now? Um, but I got a lot of money Christmas Eve, and then Christmas Day, uh, I just had a day off, so I made a roast beef stew. Nice. Um, Did you you yeah. yourself carve the roast beast? No, it's, I don't know what the deal is. It just, I've never wanted to be the person that buys like pre-cut things because I kind of like cooking meat because you have to prepare it all yourself. But I just got the pre-cut beef chuck at the store. Come on, dude. And then You have to carve it on Christmas Day. That's the rule. I know, but then I'd have to buy a gigantic roast beef and I don't actually, I'd have to buy a gigantic thing and I don't want to do that. I just want to have beef stew. Um, yeah, it was nice. It turned out pretty well. I just realized, sorry, this is a jump back to me, but very quickly, but I do want to talk to you more about your roast beef, but it just popped in my head is you don't have Apple TV plus. 
Which means you haven't watched the new Christmas classic, Spirited, starring Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell. <laughs> written by Man. the Dear Evan Hansen guys. And the reason I say that is because it is 100% what you'd imagine Basic and Paul's Christmas Carol would be. <laughs> Since the holidays are over, can I spoil the one thing that happens in it that is, like, actually, like, it's meant to be emotional, but when it happens, it's kind of like, wait, what? <laughs> like, this is insane. Yeah, sure. So the Tiny Tim in it, he dies because he gets cyberbullied and he commits suicide, and it's just basically Dervin Hansen. <laughs> like, a couple minutes. What? I'm not joking. This is what happens is Ryan Reynolds plays a guy who's like, you got to do oppo research on your opponent to his niece for eighth grade. And he's like, look, we found this old TikTok of your guy, your opponent saying that homeless people are smelly on Christmas Eve. So just post that on Instagram and destroy his campaign. And then she does it and then goes to Christmas future shows, shows him that by her doing that, the, uh, the kid commits suicide. So it's like, what? Like, so does Will Ferrell kill that kid? No, no, no. Okay, so Will Ferrell is the ghost of Christmas present. Oh. And Ryan Reynolds is screwed. Man, I don't... Can we can we talk about the advertisement for Spirited? I have <laughs> never known what that movie was about until recently, just kind of overhearing people talk about it being a Christmas Carol adaptation. And then I thought it was in the past... Apparently it's not. It's got some I didn't know it was past. written by Pasek and Paul. No, I mean like the past, the past. No, it's got some scenes in the 1800s. Yes. <laughs> I don't know anything about this film. Like, did you what listen on to? Earth? Um, I did... thought I thought it was about them ice skating because of the poster. Well, my fi- like, my favorite letterbox review for Spirited is there's a guy I follow, a critic I follow named Josh Spiegel, and he wrote like a full review for for a different website, but his letterbox review is just two out of five, and he's like. The thing that's haunted me most about this movie is that Ryan Reynolds is bearded on the poster but clean shaven in the movie, and I want, just want to know how this happened. <laughs> um, wow, what a biz- so how did that? How did you like that film? I mean, I think it's fine. It's like a three out of five. It's definitely one of those things where it's like the ending kind of saves it for me, but. Also, like, Patrick Page is in it, and it's really hard for me to dislike something that gives Patrick Page a song. But then it's also... Did you listen to our Snub Club episode on Scrooge? Yeah. Okay, well, because I know Caleb said this on there, so I'll just quote him. He's like, it's really weird to cast Patrick Page as the guy who just goes around, Stop singing! Singing is stop it! That's annoying! Stop singing! It's like, no, I just want him to sing. Also, my other weird takeaway on it is is that I would never have guessed of the three celebrity actors in it that Ryan Reynolds is the only one who actually can like sing decently even with autotune. Because I think Octavia Spencer and Will Ferrell still sound really bad even with their autotune. But Ryan Reynolds, I'm like, oh no, he sounds like a Disney sidekick type of thing. You know, like a genie-esque singer. Like, not a great singer, but like someone who like qualifies as, okay, I could listen to him singing like a comedy song. But the other two, I'm just like, ooh, I do it. Do not like the, the the voices I'm hearing right now. I'm so baffled by that. It sounds it sounds like such a more interesting film. Is it like if you gave me a poster that was like Ryan Reynolds surrounded by those three, and it's like this is clearly a Christmas Carol, but it's I don't know what the angle is. You know, from the guys the who brought you La La is, La Land. Is what the hell? This, that's what's funny too. It's the market is La La Land and anything. It really is just Jarvin Hansen does a Christmas Carol <laughs> in a way that it's oh. kind of like honestly weird that Ben Platt isn't in it. 
My other take on it is I just think Will Ferrell's miscasting it, but I also think the movie only exists because Will Ferrell wants to do a musical. So it's one of those things that's like, eh, I guess I can't complain too much because yeah. I'm pretty sure it's the only reason this exists. It also just like, you know how people talk about streaming aesthetic and like how movies on streaming like have a certain aesthetic that looks cheap? Sure. Um, Spirited, it really, I'm just like, I know it got a theatrical release. I cannot imagine seeing it in a theater because it has the aesthetic of like, hey, all three of these big actors are just going to do like a TV Christmas special for you. With some songs that are kind of like very over choreographed and kind of cool, but also like, it just feels like a cheap Christmas special on TV that cost $85 million because they got big actors. Mm-hmm. I also saw a really bad movie yesterday that had the streaming aesthetic, but we don't need to get into that. Mm-hmm. How was your roast beast? Did you have anything else with it? Um, no, that was my day. I don't, I don't really have. I don't really have much to report. I didn't even, I don't even have gift things to report, really. I got some nice things, but things that I wanted to get for people are either stolen or not quite materialized yet. So there's no big things there. I was gifted a very nice chef's knife. Um, but there is actually one thing that you might be interested in, which might be news in a month, but I'll share part of it with you now. But you know the old man in silence, right? Yes. Yeah, so he's a very big deal actor in the world named Yoshioidia, and he's directing an opera that is going to be playing at the Japan Society Ooh. in New York next month. And it's like three dates, so I've my my one of my Christmas things to myself was I got a ticket for that. Nice, very so, cool. Yeah, that's kind of the the tale that's going on there. That is really cool. So, yeah, I mean, I have no other. I didn't. I didn't really do anything. I've just kind of had some dinners with people, and and I know. I know you said like the with... weeks leading up to the week leading up to is going to be really busy. So, I get yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. And now it's kind of the off week, so I've been my my adventure well, has tomorrow, been going right? to thrift stores and things. I thought I was, but I actually confused that with today. Oh. Um. Well, I remember because I so... sent you that ticket to Fablements. I was like, you should go to this, and I'm sure that think is now sold out anyway so even if you wanted to go to it i mean it's whatever i should uh, you kind of have to make yourself busy when you have the time and it's during the weekday so yeah no i get you kind of what i'm up to i don't have any no big adventures well yet yet would you like to play the letterbox game yeah all right so letterbox game it's a game about letterboxed they have this feature that shows you the Five most, well, more than five, the most related films to the film you just watched. The Letterbox game is, I will give Mark five films. Um, wait, I'm going to stop, and then you can cut me back in. I'm not going to add those rules until the new year, <laughs> those new rules we were discussing. We'll add those in the next episode, because right okay. now I'm, I did not prepare them at all. Because remember how you were like, let's okay. add some new rules to make it easier. But I'm like, we can just wait for 2023 to add those new rules, okay? Okay, yeah. All right. Letterbox gives you five films that are, well, more than five films that are related to the film you just watched. Um, I give Mark the first five. Uh, he gets two guesses on what film I'm talking about. And then, actually, you know what would be fun? Well, and then after, okay, hold on, hold on. Then afterwards we go, um, sorry, first five films, two guesses. After two guesses, he gets the year. After that guess, he gets an additional film. After that guess, he gets one last additional film, and then he gets to guess everything. He get, it, then it's over. He lost. 
Um, I was looking up very quickly to see if Avatar The Way of Water has one yet, so I could do that as an example, because that's normally what we do when we do a movie on the podcast, but Avatar The Way of Water is too new to have one of these yet, so, sorry. Mm-hmm. But, I, did I explain it well, evening for the listeners? Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Alright, so this time, because it's our end of year, um, and we're recording this on December 27th, so, if I see a 5 out of, well, okay, we're doing the... The three new 5 out of 5 movies I saw this year that we haven't done in the Letterboxd game before. So, know The Godfather, know all that jazz. And these are ordered from most popular to least popular. So, I've only seen three other new movies to me this year that are 5 out of 5. And they are not 2022 movies. None of them are 2022 movies. I've seen three. Can you guess the three 2022 movies I've given 5 out of 5 to just off the top of your head? Oh... Uh... Um, everywhere, everything, everywhere, all at once. Yes. Um, I don't think one of them was Nope. Nope was one of them. Okay, Nope. And then, I don't know, like, whatever, uh, Tar? Was Tar 5? Tar's Tar's not even a 4.5, Tar's a 4. Um, it's the Fablemans. Oh, okay. Alright, so... I'll give you all those, and we'll just we'll just play. We'll just play. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. Let's okay. do this. This is order from most Ooh. popular to least popular. Okay. Yes. All right. Your first five films are Five Hundred Days of Summer, Her, Vanilla Sky, Punch Drunk Love, Annie Hall. The movie with Jim Carrey and what's her name? Spotless Mind. Yes, it is Internal Sunshine of Spotless Nine. Good job! Yeah. Okay, great. Woohoo. The, number, the next two you would have got would have been Shop Girl and Ruby Sparks. Right. Great. First time I saw it this year, I gave it a five out of five. Cool. Yeah, good movie. What, All right. Hey, what month did you watch that in? I, I believe while, either it? May or April, because they were doing a series at the AMC... Which I know is a very weird thing to say. A series of AMC of um, focus features like 20th anniversary. I can check mm. really quick. Um, April 29th is when I saw it. Okay, I just figured it was a while ago, but I was trying to think of how long. Alright, you ready for the next one? Yeah. Alright. Blade Runner 2049. Dune. Tenet. The Time Machine. And Blade Runner. Matrix Revolutions. I mean, whichever the new one is. Resurrections? Yeah. No. That is not it, but it is in the top 25. I saw the Matrix Resurrections opening day in 2021. <laughs> saw... And that's a 4.5 to me also. Okay. So you get another guess. Was it the Matrix? I've seen the Matrix before this year. <laughs> the Matrix uh... is also in the top 25, though. Uh, so your year is 2012. <laughs> I'm like, was it? I think this came out in 2009, but I wanted to joke guess the Star Trek movie. (laughs) Well, 2012, it would be the Wrath of Khan, which is not the Wrath of Khan. It's whatever the other name was. You want to guess that? No. Um, I I think I can do better. I'm just trying to think. Technically, also, Star Trek in the Darkness came out in 2013. Ah, close. Get wrecked. Get wrecked. Mm. (laughs) 2012. Uh, Was it her? No, it's not her. Her is not a top 25. The next mm. film you get is Mortal Engines. <laughs> mm. You know, I don't think it's this because these all seem very big budget, but was it 
Under the skin? It's not under the skin. Under the skin is not in the top 25. So I'll give you your final mm. film, and then we'll do a recap. Okay? The final film is yes. 2001 A Space Odyssey. So this is a film from 2012, and the seven related films are Blade Runner 2049, Dune, Tenet, The Time Machine, Blade Runner, Mortal Engines, and 2001 A Space Odyssey. And it's about space. Supposedly. I think it's about space. <laughs> Whatever, I'm going to make a bad guess. Is it Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull? No, it's not Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. That's not a top 25. I right. This isn't a bonus guess, but I will say, we've talked about this on this podcast before. We just haven't used it for the letterbox game. Yeah. I'm just trying to think. I just, I can't think of a space movie from 2012. Well, I'll just tell you then. And I'll tell you in a way that's going to annoy you, which is that The Matrix Resurrections and The Matrix might be in the top 25, but they if they were in the top 7, I would have removed them because they are the same director of this movie. And this is Cloud Atlas. Ah, all right. All right. You ready for the hardest one? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm surprised. Not. I, I have to double I, check I, the I, directors on this one. So give me a couple. Wild of... that this is going to be less pop. I mean, like Cloud Atlas was more popular than this movie. This one is not a very popular movie. Mm. You ready? Yeah. Your final round. All right. Your five films are Singing in the Rain, Cover Girl, On the Town, Mamma Mia, White Christmas. This is, oh, um, I don't even remember the name of it, but is it that Busby Berkeley one where they just, it's like a party and they're like, hey, it's a, it's, it's like fruit parade or something. <laughs> yes, it's that movie. It's, um, do you not, do you have any guess on what the title, I'm just curious, I, can you nail the title? It, can you nail it? <laughs> um... <laughs> No, I feel strongly about Fruit Parade. I don't know what else. It just has that vibe to me. I don't know, like Holiday Inn or something. Uh, well, I'll, I you, I know you know what the movie is, but that's not it. Uh, so I'm just going to tell you what your next two would have been. just, And then I'll tell you what the title is. But the next two movies would have been Hairspray and Thank Your Lucky Stars. Uh, mm. And this is a film from 1943. It's titled "The Gangs All Here," but I knew that is the movie you're talking yeah. about. I had to remove yeah, Dames, Gold Diggers of 1933, and 42nd Street from this list. Yes, it's, yeah. I, I know you know what movie you're talking. <laughs> you were talking about the same movie. You're right. You're right. You're good. Don't worry, Mark. Man, it is hard to do improv and just yes and quickly when I cannot think of nouns, <laughs> but I can get close. So yeah. Supposedly great film. I haven't finished it, but I watched a bit of it, and yeah, I know what you mean. So yeah, Internal Sunshine, Spotless Mind, Cloud Atlas, and the Gang's All Here. Um, along with all that jazz and um, The Godfather are my only five like new old movies that have become five out of five. Eight total five out of five. No, sorry. Seven plus. Oh, so no, like that would be... That's ten, right? No, sorry. I have it open now. That's... Eight total, yeah, eight total movies for me that are new five out of fives to me from this year. Oh, and the reason I was giving that long disclaimer about um, when we're recording this is because I'm seeing The Apartment on Sunday, Saturday, like December 31st. So, I don't know. I've heard really good things. We'll see. I don't want to get, I don't want to like put the expectation of it of it being a five out of five. 
but it's possible. You know, it's fantastic. I think the I think you'll think the apartment's a five out of five. If not, whatever. But well, that's why my I disclaimer would... is here. Cause it's like, although this episode will be out before then, so who cares? You know. Do you have anything for me or no? It's okay if you don't. Uh, no. Well, um, we're going to do a resolution part later in the episode, I assume, right? What do you mean? We're going to talk about New Year's plans and resolutions and things. Oh, yeah, we can do that at the end. We could also just yeah. do right now <laughs> the leftover segment of us forgetting the Christmas special. <laughs> oh, that's right. Well. Well, how about, how about we transition in not to a uh, Pixar episode Pixar Christmas special but like what is the blue Christmas 30 minute Avatar Christmas special oh yeah well to talk about what we're talking about we had an idea that we mentioned I think on mic that we were going to do during the Christmas episode we were going to present pitches for a Pixar Christmas special that we completely forgot about doing so I guess, yeah, let's just make up some Avatar 30-minute Christmas special. Obviously, the title has to be A Blue Christmas with the Solis. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Is this yours? I don't want to joint commit to this. And I think also, it's got to be said in those 10 years before, like, you know, how the opening of The Way of Water covers, like, 12 years. It's got to be said in there sometime. And it definitely (laughs) has to be about, like... Jake being like, oh yeah, we always don't put Christmas at home. And Terry being like, no, we do not have that here. Trees are for memories. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think it kind of writes itself. And that with Jake being like, you know, the idiot that he is, being like, no, but Christmas is so cool. <laughs> it's funny because my pitch is probably the B story in your special. Okay. I think, I think. That the B story needs to be about the birth of the little girl, or something like yeah. that, and it it needs to be about like the brothers being like, you know, will you love us less if we have a sibling or something like that. And it also needs to have Sigourney Weaver. Wrong, Sigourney's Weaver's but... character needs to have a part where she's like, "But I'm the daughter," <laughs> you know, like she needs to have a scene that's like that. And then we need to explore got... the racism of, of Spider. Well, I was going to say, like... we could put a little mistletoe over Spider and Carrie. You know, I read a good point that's like, those scenes on set where they're like very clearly like setting up a romance between them is like, like on set that's got to be pretty weird. On set. <laughs> hey man, that's that's my favorite part of, of this film. Oh, oh well, no, I, I think she's... I think she's great. We'll get, we'll get into no, it. No, I mean, I'm not saying it's great. I think that it's... Well, this this is kind of part of what I want to talk to Avatar about. Okay. Um. Yeah, so B-story. Uh, What's uh, a C-story? Um. I think it's got to be about Norm Spellman. We got it. We got okay. to We have to have some human... I think actually the B-story is about, like, the humans, right? So we got to actually put Spider in that... Like, you were the C-story. Spider and Norm are probably there, along with the Leap Browse character that I never remember the name of. Sorry guys, you're gonna you're gonna be so impressed that I remember all these Avatar character names, but then there's the Leap Brow, who I will never remember the name of his character. But Norm Spellman, yeah, <laughs> I gotta remember Norm Spellman. But um, man, he he acted he acted the hell out of his one line. The Leap Brow or Norm Avatar Spellman? Two. Which one? The Leap Brow. Oh yeah, he was because I I noticed that when he came on, he was like. I don't know how we're going to solve this problem. And that is the one line that he speaks in the film. 
I just remember thinking in like earlier this year when I watched, um, well, it was when I rewatched Avatar, it really hit me. But then I'd seen Drag Me to Hell for my podcast, and of course I've seen Inception. It's like, damn, this guy had like a really great 12 months of being in like Inception, Avatar, and then a Sam Raimi horror movie, and then he just did not have like a very high profile movie career at all after that. <laughs> Because he actually has a decent-sized role in the first Avatar. But then, yeah, in this one, all the humans are like, who cares? Yeah. Maybe well, maybe Norm it's a movie about... Maybe, maybe the sea story is about Norm being like, I'm practically Spider's dad. <laughs> it's about... And maybe this is where we get the canon, like him finding out that his dad was Miles Korich. And he's like, this is terrible. But it's like, no, family is what you make of it. And then it's just the leap throw and Norm's mom and we go like, hi, son. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good and then the post credit scene is to leap uh, not to leap out um, Eddie Falco waking up with like some hot cocoa in her coffee mug with her Mac being like I'm coming for you <laughs> you know <laughs> oh man <laughs> I think this is a good idea I, I well how do, how do we resolve the thing with Jake and Natiria I think Natiria is always usually in these movies I think in both the movies Natiri is almost always in the right on everything. And in this guy, I'd say she's right too to be like, no, we're not going to celebrate Christmas with the kids. But like, how uh, does she relent and let Jake have Christmas? What? You think she, you think that she's wrong to let him celebrate Christmas? What if it ends with this being the first time Jake hooks his thing up to the tree? He does, he does that. He doesn't in Avatar One though. But he doesn't see anything. He just talks to Awa. He doesn't see anyone in Avatar One. What? Does did people see each other in Avatar Two? Yes. I thought that was a special power that only like Kiri had. We will we, we will get into it when we talk about the movie. Yes. So you do you. I know this you've movie, seen you it like eight see, times now. <laughs> I've seen it twice. I'm going a third time. My time is up. Comes out. Um, <laughs> I've seen it twice. But no, that's in the movie proper. It's not just. Kiri's magic powers. Um, you see both Natiri and Jake do it. You also see Loak do it with um, Pakayan. I think that's how you say its name. Payakan. Payakan. Who I am, by the way. Yeah. Uh, very quick side note before we get into the full Avatar discussion. Uh, pa- the the joy I got from Payakan, who we will definitely talk about a lot, means that currently my... I, I always vote in this awards thing where we have a best hero and a best villain, and currently my best hero and my best villain are like fully CGI creations because Pahayakin is obviously the hero of the year, and Jean Jacket is obviously the villain of the year to me. I would be hard pressed to think of better ones, but I'd be curious about what your the whole roster is a uh, is uh, all together. Do you want to know? And then we can jump into Avatar two. I, I have well, it. let's let's finish the exercise and okay. try to resolve okay. the. I don't know. I guess. I guess he can. So whatever. He he's in the tree. How do Maybe Kiri like, like makes like something really nice for him, and that like moves Natiri like emotionally. You know, like Kiri somehow like I don't know. Makes, I don't know. Like makes like he's like we had all these cool lights growing up. And he's like we are not putting up lights here. But then she like makes like orders like the fireflies to make like a Christmas tree for him, and Natiri is like moved by that. And then they all share presents yeah. under the tree. 
And then I think Loak and his brother. Yeah, I'm sorry. The older brother, that's that's another name I did not catch. Sorry. Those are the two names I didn't catch. The Leap Round and the older brother. But Loak and the older <laughs> brother, they do like a gift of the Magi type thing. <laughs> where they give each other the same thing. And it's like, I got you a bow. That's what I got you. Or something like that. Yeah. Oh, wait. That's like the box thing from the SpongeBob episode. It's not actually a gift of the Magi. I, I'm happy with that. I'm just... Okay. I just I was I was uncomfortable if we left that unresolved. I think it's too easy to leave plots untied. I do think that, I think up. the actual answer is like Kiri makes a tree that looks Christmassy, and Natiri's yeah. like, "All right, fine, just this once, Jake." You know, and then Jake's like, "Thank you," and then they have like nice makeup sex afterwards with their hair. Yeah, I guess you know. <laughs> I initially was not thinking like maybe she would not want the colonizer holiday in her <laughs> town. I don't know, actually, because in the world of Avatar, colonialism is pretty cool. So, like... All right. Come on. (laughs) Bro, these films exist. We can't pretend that, like, (laughs) you know... Whatever. (laughs) We could... could, We'll see where these movies are going. I think... Whatever. We're white. (laughs) I guess, like, I can't defend the movie from criticisms like that. So... But, I mean, uh, it made a lot of people a lot of money, and in the end, isn't that what life is really about? Yeah, life's about capitalism and whale juice. Yeah. That should be our title episode, Capitalism and It could be about whale, whale juice, juice if, they, if, they spent, if they ended the movie there and didn't just go on about other things. Oh, All right. right. Now we're, okay, so after the Christmas special, a few years pass, and now it's time for Avatar 2, The mm-hmm. Way of Water. The way of water. A groundbreaker. Yeah, it's... I mean, let's be real. Well, first off, there's the actual reason I was covering this, which is that I want to talk about how to the way of water. But then there's the, the like, how does this fit for our podcast? And this is where we'll reveal the other option we're looking at in case Mark did not get around to have to the way of water. It's disenchanted. And we have a bullshit reason for disenchanted, too. Disenchanted, it was like, we're going to watch an actual Disney Plus movie to compare it to these Pixar Disney Plus releases and see how, like, it measures up in quality. Because... I'm optimi- I'm cautiously optimistic about Disenchanted too, because I know Disenchanted, because I know people who liked it. But I also am well aware if it's like 38% Rotten Tomatoes, so I, it's very possible I don't like it. Um, but it's I so surprise. I watched like the first 20 minutes of it while I was doing other things, and I don't remember how the first gen was. This one seems kind of mean. Okay. But like, I don't know. It had it has some it has some great tunes. Well, the Avatar the Way of Water bullshit is that this is obviously the next step forward in CGI, much like the first one was. Not like obviously we're not gonna get Pixar making movies that look like this, because I don't think I have any desire to. But like it's kind of un like if someone said to me like Nah, the visual effects in Avatar 2 aren't that good. I'd be like, what What are you talking about? Like, you cannot tell me this visually looks looks bad. <laughs> like, there's there's no there's no reality where you can be like, looks fake. Like, this is the worst CGI I've ever seen in my life. No, you can't say that to me. <laughs> um, so it's like, you yeah, know. I agree with you. I was a little skeptical going in because I did rewatch Avatar 1. And I think that, like, I think that She-Hulk is about on par. And people, people shit on She-Hulk, but I watched that over my roommate's shoulder, and I was like, eh, 
this person's green, this person's blue, there they are. I mean, I don't know how to tell if they're real. I think Avatar like, looks, looks better. the same. But also, I think... I think Disney Plus's streaming quality sometimes... Like, okay, I'll be honest. Like, before this, I told you, I was like, I want to rewatch the trailers for Avatar to refresh my memory on how this movie was marketed. And I rewatch it on my computer. I'm like, nah, this looks fake on my computer. But then I see it in the movie in 3D. I'm like, oh, no, those are real blue people. <laughs> uh, I actually saw also a really good tweet that was like, normal people... Sp- oh, that's Spider Guy. He's kind of goofy. I don't know if he's racist or not. The VFX people... Whoa, what? How is this guy here? How is he interacting like this? What is going on? How is there a human in these scenes doing this? And I'm like, yeah, that seems pretty accurate to like how Spider is implemented with the rest of the movie. Like, it is kind of crazy. Like, how I'm just like, oh, yeah, there's a human there and there's a Navi there. I'm like, wait, no, this is like probably like insane. Like, absolutely crazy to think about how this looks and how they yeah. did this. But yeah, um,. Yeah. Avatar, The Way of Water. It is, in fact, a groundbreaker, but that's just because I feel like ever. Well, okay, that's not true. I don't think the sequels will be as groundbreaking because, of course, there's something where it's like we're returning to it after 13 years. So, inherently, the sequels aren't going to be, like, as, like, holy shit, this, the tech here. Because, you know, we will have seen, I believe all of them are using about the same level of tech. Of course, there'll be marginal improvements made along the way, but none, like, from 2009 to 2022. I also do think, too, like, you, I realize you're not talking about this movie compared to the last one as being not groundbreaking, but I I found it really nice that not only is the attention to detail there, but they're pushing some sci-fi concepts a little farther, which is my favorite thing about sci-fi that I like, is if you can follow things logically through to the conclusion where they start to poke at some... At some, I, I think, uh, like, taboos and social things. That's I think really one of my favorite things in this movie, and I, f- I have a gut feeling you're going to be like, no, Danny, I hated this, but I love Stephen Lang in this. I love what they do with the character. Oh, no, I love him, too. I, lo- I, I lo- think he's, like, they brought him back, and uh, that was, I'll, I'll be real with you, I'm a bit of a curmudgeon about this film, but when he woke up as an Avatar, I, I almost was like, Yes! I, I was like, like I, my, I wanted the theater to like, what? My favorite thing about it is like how often that plotline very much empathizes. Like, I'm not Korich. I'm a copy of him. And I like, ooh, I yeah. love that. Like, we're not like, he's like, I'm influencing with the memories of your dad. I'm not your dad. We're not, we, I, we do not share the same soul. And I'm like, yes, please. Like, this is great. Like, the fact that you're interrogating this is so cool to me. Um, yeah. And that, I mean, that for me is, like, what I want from a really good movie villain. Like, he's coming in late, and it's a little funky, but for me, that was a big... I mean, I think he shows up probably in the first 15 minutes of the movie. Yeah, no, I mean, late, like, late in the year. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. I, the thing to me is that, weirdly, I don't even view him... Even though, yeah, he is the villain of this movie, I think... You know, in the first movie, he's such, like, a... And I mean this in a good sense, as someone who likes the first movie, he is such a cartoon character in the first movie. Like, he is more cartoonish than, you know, the Navi, who are cartoons, really, if you think about it. Um, yeah. But in this, it's like, nah, we're going to take that, that archetype, and we're still going to use it as the archetype, but we're going to interrogate it in this, like, very, like, you know, father, like, what, what if we give him a son? But also, it's like, what if we give him a son that's not really a son, because he's a clone, and I'm like, yes, give me this weird, sh- give me this weird, like, analysis, sci-fi analysis of it. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, 
So you're a curmudgeon on it. Should we just get our get our takes out of the way then? I, I think Avatar The Way yeah. of Water is phenomenal. Top five movie of the year. I will probably see it three or four more times in theaters. Visual feast for the eyes. Can't wait to talk about the high frame rate with you. Because um, the high frame rate, I also think, is a crazy technical leap with this movie. That is kind of mixed, but, like, it's interesting. Um, but I also just think, like, as a story, it's great. I think the ending makes me feel very emotional a lot of times of it. I think as a middle child, this is a movie that's designed for me. I think Loak is a character I adore. And, and I feel like this movie came out in 2009. This would be my favorite movie of all time. You know what I mean? Like, seeing this movie in middle school, I'd be like, yeah, Loak, that's who I want. Like, you know, like, that's me. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I felt seen by James Cameron in this movie. Um, and yeah. I also think this movie in general just is like, I don't want to say it's an improvement on the first, because I think the first, it's kind of like, I know you're going to hate me on this because you don't like these movies. It very much feels like a Guardians 2 to me, where like the first movie is a much tighter experience, but the second movie is like going off in these crazy radical spots where I'm like, yeah, and then the the ending sings so much more for me because I'm much more invested in this story about a middle child trying to win his parents' approval than, you know, the love story of the first movie. But. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Oh, excuse me. Um, yeah. And I mean, I don't know. I think that is really, I can't disagree with any of that because I think that's where Avatar really works for me. I think it's for me, I don't, it's hard for me to think about it this way because I don't use the system that much, but it's probably like a three out of five movie for me. I think that it is very fine, just like I thought that Avatar 1 was very fine. And I think I saw Avatar 1 a few times, rewatching it. It's fine. There are a lot of great things that I like in Avatar 2. Like, I mean, a lot of the, all of the family stuff is all, is really interesting to me. And I think that Quaritch coming back, it's fantastic villain in, for movies that I watch, like, really rare that I get so excited about an action movie villain like that. Oh, excuse me. But, and I also, as a fan of Transformers 5, I'm a big fan. If, if you just want to just change, radically change the way the movie is presented during the film <laughs> okay. as often as possible. Let's talk about the high frame rate. Let's start with, let's start well, with the no, high no, frame rate. I mean, like, no joke. That's one of my favorite. I really, really liked that. I thought it was, it was super exciting and I thought it, it worked and it was interesting to think about. Because I did notice it, it didn't like take me out or whatever. But I think, for me, not only is it is it kind of like written with, the, you know, it could just be, you know, the, this dialogue could have been pulled from anywhere, like dialogue's over. No respect to your brother, even though sometimes it's not. I don't know. Some like part parts of it were just like seemed so uninspired. And I thought all of the action scenes were too long. See, that's interesting and... to me because I think the first movie is very much. I get I, people always talk about the first Avatar as having like one of the best third acts ever, and I'm always I always kind of tune out by the third act of the first Avatar. Even when I saw it three times in 3D, I'm like, yeah, this is cool. There's a couple moments that get me excited, but this I'm like very invested in most of it, mainly because I think it does a better job making me care about the characters involved in it, like. Even like even like because the fact I care about Quaritch more in this is great, 
Like, because I, I do think I have, like, a weird empathy for him in this, because it's kind of like this guy did not want to be a clone, but, like, here he is, and he's, like, he's got to deal with that and do his mission. Um, and he's got to avenge this guy he doesn't really know, because that's who he is, and it's, like, really cool. But then also it's, like, I care for, well, okay, I think the one clear flaw of Avatar The Way of Water to me, and I assume you'll agree with me on this, is that it's a three-hour movie that somehow still managed to shortchange the best part of the first movie, which is Zoe Saldana, who does not get a lot to do in it until the third act, where when she does get stuff to do, she immediately kills it. Like, she's still... She's as good in this movie as she is in the first one. It's just that she's not in it as much. Um, Yeah. And it's just kind of a bummer, because it's like, ah, but she's so... I actually do think also, I think Sam Worthington in this is way better than he was in the... Like, his performance is, like, really, like, emotionally powerful at points, which is, like, definitely something I was not expecting to say leaving the movie, or going into the movie, you know? But then it's, like... Nah, no, he's given, like, a really... I think everyone in this movie is giving, like, a really great performance with maybe the except, exception of the Whalers, but even then they're doing, like, their hammy thing they're being asked to do. But... I really just want that to be revealed in the next movie that E.E. Falco is like 800 years old and she's been drinking the whale juice. That's just a side note. <laughs> yeah, what? no, I mean, I think that would be just, I, I love, I love that sci-fi can give us spectacle in such a tangible way. It, sometimes I think about how horror fantasy is spectacular, but it's hard to create a sense of scale when things are like magical or things like that. But immediately, if you understand it, someone's like a certain number of years old or... But... I don't know. Math is easier for me to understand. When I first... So, okay. I want to talk about the high frame rate and then I'll talk about the magic. Which is... I saw... So, I saw this twice partially because the first time I saw it, I thought the high frame rate was messed up. Because I saw the Avatar Remastered release in Dolby, which was also in high frame rate. And it did a much different thing where it would always like like speed up the frames and the build up to the high frame rate, which looked very smooth. And in this it's very much like now nah, we're cutting back and forth between different frame rates. Fuck you. You're gonna handle it. <laughs> and so initially I thought there was an issue with my screening, because there's a lot of times where I'll either cut right back to the 24 frames a second and it will seem way slower because you just were watching something 48 frames per second. Or I feel like there's even moments in it where it slows down the frame rate, like to below 24 frames. And I really thought it was an issue with my screening, but then it's like, no, I saw it again, and it looks exactly the same. But I'm kind of like, the second time, I'm like, no, you know what, I dig it now that I know this is what it's aiming for. You know, mm-hmm. like, not that, now that I know this isn't a glitch, now that I know it's like, we're slowing down the frame rate so you can pay attention to this particular action. And then we're speeding it up. And the reason I'm saying that is because I remember at the remastered, I think I've said this before, the scene I got in the remastered scene is the first scene they're diving in the, um, just, you know, the first scene they're diving and that's in high frame rate 3D. And I just remember feeling an intense awe at like Kiri and them all swimming with fishes and like the bioluminescence. And I think anytime this movie goes underwater, I'm just kind of like staring in like utter joy at what I'm seeing. Like even like during the chase scenes at the end, I'm just like, ah, but we're underwater and it looks really cool. And I love it. <laughs> like, and I think it's a level of spectacle that, like, this is, like, me going back to, like, 2009. I think I always defend, like, 
I feel like the How to Train Your Dragon movies are good movies, but I don't think they're ever as magical as when I saw them for the first time in 3D. That's like, oh, those flying scenes in 3D were incredible. In this scene, movie, it's like, it's kind of like you're like, yeah, you watched Raptor at home and it wasn't as great as I, I think you said it was still good. But to me, I'm like, it will never be as great as I remember. Because to me, it's like, I just said, I'll see these three or four more times in theaters, but I'm never going to watch it again at home. <laughs> because I like the 3D is what I'm like here for. Uh, and I think it emotionally works as a story too, but to me, it's like, no, I want to, I want to hang out with those whales. I want to be underwater. <laughs> I want to, I want to be on, I want to be on the shores of the Metakanaya or whatever it's called. I just butchered their name, but you know what? They're fictional, so I don't feel as bad. Uh, <laughs> oh man. James Cameron bursts in my door. <laughs> How dare you? Avatar. The way of water. Avatar. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think that I've that of... wasn't me wrapping it up. That was me returning to the subject. We've got a lot more to talk about. Well, I know, but like, what subject are you? I'm not trying to wrap it up either. I'm trying to like, where well, do you, where do we pivot from there? Oh, we could we can do a let, let's just run for the plot and detour on the way. How about that? I think that works. Yeah, sure. All right, so the movie opens and we get this montage of Jake Sully narrating. All right. Okay. Stop, just let me stop you right there. Okay. First off, Nicole Kidman I comes love... out and thanks you to come to the movie theater. That's what actually happens and, first. And people did clap again. That's because oh, you're nice. at Lincoln Square. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the movie starts with the aerial shot over the forest, which is how the end credits are in Avatar One, mm. and I loved that because I thought it was a nice transition, and it was also like. It immediately tells you that it it doesn't open with like a giant. It doesn't really Star open Wars with crawl. a set piece. Oh, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. I was gonna say well, Star no, Wars crawl. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. But it, it opens with it opens with a montage, like you're saying, and then it just keeps going, which I thought was really cool because the first time the story really stops is when we get reintroduced to Quaritch, so we don't have like a big wow. We're back on Avatar. I mean, back on Pandora. Well, what you do um, get is that, like, great, to me, a great emotional attachment to the characters. Because you, you get introduced to their family as their family grows up, you know? Oh, yeah. And um, I was going to say, one moment I really like, and this is actually, to me, thing that I think is key about these moments also is this is where, like, you start getting adjusted to the high frame rate, in a way. Because this is really where it's cutting back and forth. You're like, oh, my God, like, what is this movie doing? But then by the time it's, like... Jake's just playing with his kids in a circle and they're all hugging each other. You're like, oh no, this is nice. You know, you're like, I see what's going on here. Um, yeah. But I also just think, I don't like, I don't know, like, the sequence is like, there's one moment in the sequence where I, I remember also, I wanted to mention this with the Navi language. We get that great moment where he's like, it was practically like speaking English. And then like the, the subtitles fade out and then you yeah. hear like, now the rest of the movie you're just listening to English. But then it's like, you get confused on like the scenes where Quartz is talking to them, like how they understand what's going on, because it's established Quartz cannot speak Navi well. <laughs> so then it's like, yeah. but it's like, are you just... man, <laughs> talk about talk about a we movie don't a that should have come out in 2011 or whenever, but ended up coming out in 2022. That's such a bizarre device. <laughs> like, I mean, I guess, that's what I, that seemed like. It's that's like an ancient time. Movie I mean, trope. well, the thing is, and I think the one that we always. Um, I think what's it does it doesn't Inglorious Bastards do it too? Um, oh no, Inglorious Bastards. I mean, very I much think Inglorious do Bastards is pretty 
is pretty fluid. Yeah. But they also they also really make a point of having certain scenes in the other language. Oh yeah, definitely. When Quarch is there, but it's I'm sure very there much are some like, that are like now we're it's in English. Very clear. But then it's like, you know, there's scenes where like Spider takes them home to like the Avatar land. Or like you know what I mean, like where the avatars hang out, um, and like spiders just talking with them normal, and then like everyone's around them. I mean, I guess that makes sense though, because Leap Rao and Norm Spellman definitely know Navi. Yeah, I think I think from that point on, you're just supposed to understand whenever someone's talking. Do we just do they get it? You know? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it doesn't matter. It's very like if I want to nitpick, like I don't know who's talking here or here, it will just become like a sentiment city thing. I just yeah. want on the DVD, we need to have a Navi language cut. Let me listen to the whole thing with subtitles. Um, Give us the Apocalypto uh, Avatar 2. Where Stephen Lang is the only person speaking English. <laughs> um, and then anyway, the, the other montage thing continues. Yeah, well, the other thing that's important in the montage is Kiri being introduced, I feel like. Because Kiri is like yeah. birthed from uh, Grace um, Augustine's, which is Sigourney Weaver's character. Sigour- uh, Grace Augustine's dead body that they recovered and put in a tank for some reason it's, but you will allow it's it it's so cool i mean i, can, I actually you know what I, I say for some reason like i'm no it's a fully usable avatar body i'm sure at some point like they were thinking like yeah let's just recover this and use it for someone else you know um yeah because i do think at some point in the series it will be a big loss if you know we're gonna get three more of these at least hopefully uh, fingers crossed. I want James Cameron to keep making these movies because otherwise he's just gonna retire. Just, just let him keep making them. I'm, I'm gonna keep enjoying them. Um, they're probably gonna keep be worth being worth one watch for you at least. Um, I think, yeah, I think they're worth the one watch. But anyway, I think at some point we will get someone like piloting an avatar that's not theirs, or maybe we'll even get like Loak going into. You know what I mean? We'll get like Jake being like, "I gotta go on this other avatar to do something." You know, like a Navi piloting. It will be something weird like that. That'll be really cool. That will happen. I feel like at some point. So I think that's yeah. Or even like maybe Kiri will get to pilot August Grace's um avatar. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, My point is the avatar know. is there for a reason. That's probably yeah. they're saving. But then it's like she gets virgin birth from the avatar. Um, which, which implies a Chad birth. What? Which implies a Chad birth. <laughs> I mean, no, I'm just implying that it's very, like, Virgin Mary type of thing with Grace. Yeah, I know what you mean. I'm, I'm memeing. Yeah. Um, the montage continues. Yep, and then, uh, then we, then the Earth people return in this very high frame rate shot of the, um, ships entering... That really stands out. You know what? You know what? Yeah. I think this might not be a great idea. Let's let's just I, now. I'm like, well, we can't recap the entire plot of this three hour movie. I don't. Maybe this isn't the best idea. <laughs> let's, well, let's just I, let's just talk about the axe. Can we just talk I'm about not, the axe? Yeah, I'm not saying we shouldn't do it, but I am saying that for me, the movie got worse. Uh, everything cool was really front loaded for me. Really, yeah. I think the movie gets. Well, I think the. That's not true. I think the middle act is the best part of the movie, but I also think the third act is really good. Third act's where I cry, so. But I think the middle is the best part of the movie. But I will say, we can talk about Quaritch's introduction, because we didn't. I keep talking about Edie Falco, but I haven't talked about the much discussed moment where she drinks coffee. Um, I mean, I guess I, I made a Why joke is about that much it. Discussed? Because she drinks the coffee with the Macant. She doesn't drink oh, it with yeah. her own hand, she drinks it with the Macant. <laughs> she's, she's cool, man. 
Yeah. Edie Falco is the new leader of the Pandora colony. And she's like, hey, I'm, I'm Edie Falco and I'm here from the Sopranos. How do you do? And she's like, Corch, you are a clone. And Corch is like, also, let's talk about the three jokes total in Avatar 2. One of them is when Corch is watching his video of him coming back. And you see the guy in there, you go, ooh, ah. And then the person from him goes, ooh, ah. I think it's actually the other way. I think the Avatar reincarnation goes, it's like, Quartz on the video is like, you are a Marine. And then the guy goes, like the Avatar one goes, ooh, ah. And then on the video, the old version of the guy goes, ooh, ah. That's one of three jokes in the movie. Do you remember the other two? They're later on. They're no, way later but on. I do have a moment that my audience laughed at. Is it, the, the, to... is it when the love interest enters? Oh no! Okay, what, what's what's that? Oh, it was just when they arrived at the um ocean colony, and these people. Oh, are well, like, they did they did laugh at that actually. Yeah, and when they're like, yeah. they make goo goo eyes at each other. My audience laughed at that, but no, the other moments that okay, what was the moment your audience laughed at that you don't think it's a joke? <laughs> it's it's the one. It's not maybe not the one line of subtitled whale dialogue, but it's when Black God says it was too painful. That's the first one. I don't think that's okay. Okay, well, we, I, okay. You think that you think is that's one of an my intentional favorite. joke? No, I don't think it's it. I think I think I did hear a couple chuckles, but I do think it's like something where like I don't know. I really like that moment. I like that the whales talk in this. The I think irony, it's a good moment, but I think that I get I get the goofiness. I think that the way it's shot and the way it is presented. Are humorous. I can see that. I I, it I like it. It is shot like a meme. And I do think it won't become a meme. I hundred percent. Like like how? Oh, we didn't talk about the one meme that's come out of this movie, which is the photo in the opening montage that looks very creepy in HDR three D, like the, the flash in three D. You know how they oh, take yeah. the family photo and with yeah, Cherry rolling a lot her of eyes. Audible like groans in the theater. And oh, like, like that. Yeah. <laughs> in a lot of in a lot of moments like that, yeah. Oh well, Lincoln Square sounds creepy. Now the other two jokes in Avatar Two are um, <laughs> when Sam Worthington goes, "How'd the other guy look? Good job." Uh, when the brother beats up the friend, uh, well, not the friend, the other person, because Loak beat him up. Um, but then the other joke oh, yeah, is at me... the end, which I think is really fun. I feel like Mark's gonna give me an eye roll for. Which is when the youngest girl in the family gets tied up and she goes, I can't believe I'm cuffed to the ship again. Oh, no, I thought that was a good joke, actually. <laughs> I thought I, that was the one joke that I liked. I think it's a good joke. I think it's very, it's like the one time the entire movie like winks at the camera. But it's also like very legitimate that like a seven year old would yell at that. Like, I yeah. think it's very funny. I think it's a good use of that actress who does not get a lot to do in this because She's a child, but and she's yeah. a child not being played by a seventy-year-old woman. Um, so yeah, but yeah. One thing, so what, oh, so, no, what were we going to say? What were we going to say? I thought we were. I thought we were making a transition, but you're talking about someone else. Oh, I was going to say, um, if we want to talk because you mentioned like, oh, these movies are very pro colonization. I don't really want to get into that, but I do want to talk about Spider. I do think we should talk about Spider extensively. Because <laughs> I think Spider yes. is very, uh, I like him. He's very interesting to me. Um, just in his function in the story. Um, I think Spider, mm-hmm. well, Spider is the one human character. He is Miles Korch's son from the previous movie who was never mentioned. 
Um, and he he exists basically to make this movie like very concretely about fatherhood, basically because Corch and um, Sam Worthington. I know I know I could say Jake Sully, but like you know they're both like learning to be dads, and I actually think Jake mm-hmm. Sully is a terrible dad in this. Uh, <laughs> he really is not great. Yeah, I think Miles I actually, Corch that's one is of my a better dad. Things about- that's why I think the movie gets worse, because it introduces all of these interesting things, like there's the parallel in their being fathers, and how the first movie is very, like, obviously it it has the conflict between war people and peaceful people, air quotes, in the first movie, and then those roles are reversed in how they take care of their kids in the second movie. Yeah. And then... It's there, but it all it all just gets lost for me in how many how many different shots of someone jumping or swimming can we like? Look, the swimming is good we though. Can't handle anything else? He meets a whale. <laughs> they swim together. You are not touched by Loak no, making I mean, friends I mean, with a whale. I like that part. I just mean, I just mean in general, the movie has too many shots. I think the movie should be longer, personally. I could have been in this movie for four hours. They could have had longer shots. They could have had more Natiri, for sure. Yeah. Although Natiri, I guess, isn't really what we're arguing for right now, because we're talking about the father stuff, which... You know, actually, what I do think is very weird about this movie, and people have been like, what are you talking about, Danny? It's dumb. Why are you, why are you so hung up on this? But I think it's really weird mm. to have Kate Winslet in this and have the role that she has. Because it's really like yeah. I'm well. That's that's literally why I'm I'm not engaging with you right now because I'm like looking up who Kate Winslet who, was. Who, who 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 has written about this better than I have? And immediately, no one has. Hon- honestly, fantastic work by the Avatar marketing team to make Kate Winslet hold her breath for longer than seven minutes. So oh, that's what you talk about when you talk about Kate Winslet. To be honest, my, my hope is that's for three. <laughs> my hope is that's in Avatar 3 and Kate Winslet was just confused. But my other thought was maybe like there's an extended cut of the scene where she talks to the whale. <laughs> I mean, a- I thought it was, I thought it was just like for talking to the whale. I didn't think she was, I didn't think she did it in the movie. I mean, I think there might but. be a moment in the sequel if she isn't three. I think there might be a moment where like she has to infiltrate something underwater. That would make sense for that character. I feel like, but also she's currently like pregnant. You know, you know what the rumor title is for Avatar three, by the way. The Bay of Water, because it's, it's the about Seed the baby. Bearer. Avatar the yeah. Seed Bearer, and the number the next ones are the ones after that are supposed to be the Tolkien Rider, which I feel like will be changed because that's just the Whale Rider. Uh, mm-hmm. And then the last <laughs> one is the Quest for Awa, which I think is the best title ever. Avatar the Quest for Aqua <laughs> sounds like the spin-off video game for NES. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually no, it sounds like it sounds like the the SNES game is just called Avatar, Super Avatar or something. And then the one that's put on PC that's just like a point and click adventure is Avatar the Quest for Aqua. <laughs> Alright, so then they go to meet the the well, Spider gets kidnapped by, um... Well, I guess there's something we missed, which is that the humans come back oh, yeah. because Jake... Like, they come back because, of course, they still want the unobtainium, but Jake becomes the leader of the Resistance, so the movie happens because they send not... They send new avatars 
which their titles are recumbents. The, they, they're, they're like what? that's what they're called. They're called recomb. The word they use in the movie is recombinants because the idea is they are avatars that are ran by the memories of old dead people. Yes, even more complicated than that. But I mean, that's what yes. I like about it. But anyway, they send those guys. They send the recombinants to take out Jake. So he decides that he, to protect the forest people that he lives with and we met in the first movie, he's going to travel and go into hiding with one of the water tribes. And it's here he's so, like, no! Yeah, well, I mean, she she's pretty cool with it in a second. Like, just give she a also second. has a joke later on in the movie. She she has a joke that did not doesn't really register as a joke, where Jake is like, "Wow, this is where we're gonna live," and she just throws her stuff on the ground, and the movie immediately cuts to the next scene. And the joke is more the cut than her throwing the stuff on the ground, but <laughs> she's yeah. she, like, "It's beautiful." You should uh, definitely Photoshop us into Navi when you put up us in the No, I don't want to be part of the problem. You don't want us to be Navi? No. <laughs> Spider's more of an issue, anyway. Oh, but we also you know, forgot... I, I, we... I think that you know, he's he's a he's a complicated muddle of things. I don't really have a problem with him as a character. I, mean, I don't think Spider is an issue as a character. I think the fact that he runs around painting himself blue is kind of weird, though. <laughs> like, um, it's I mean it's it's intriguing to see like a kid do shit like that, you know? Not not that, you know... I, I do... Th- I suppose that if it were, like... I, I, think, I think in a movie that is kind of about him growing up in these different cultures, that is an interesting and very provocative thing to explore. I um, think... Does the movie do it all the way? Nah. Really? Well, I think the issue with the movie isn't actually with him. I think the issue is, and I think it's because, and I get, I get this kind of because we're Cameron is a dude. I think Cameron is more interested in telling the story about fatherhood than just about general parenthood. Where I feel like there's a lot of missed opportunities for scenes between Natiri and Kiri because it's so obvious Kiri has a thing for Spider, um, and Natiri very much. It's obvious from the beginning of the movie she doesn't approve of Spider, but then it really drops that thread until the third act. Where I think it's really great in the third act when it finally picks it back up, but it's like, ooh, we didn't have that scene throughout yeah. the whole movie where Kiri's like, sad she's missing her buddy Spider. But no, we have to have that scene where she talks to Jake instead. But if that scene was with Natiri, you know, we'd get like Natiri being like, bah, you don't need to care about him. Look at where we are. Look at all these, look at all these handsome guys around. You know, like, you know what I mean? Like, we'd have something silly like that that would flush out Natiri more and flush out their relationship more. And I don't want to be like, well, we need a girl scene and we need a boy scene. Cause that's, I feel like that is kind of what I'm sounding like. But it's also like, the, I feel like it's very important. I think one of the best moments of the movie is when, Cor- in the third act, is when Korch has Kiri and Natiri has Spider and they're both begging the other person not to kill the person in their hand and they're both, the parents are just completely ignoring them. I love that. It's a nice little, but it's like, Natiri's stuff isn't really earned even if it is like insanely well acted by zoe saldana because that's just what she does in these movies but yeah yeah man that's speaking so spider if you don't know is a kid who was born in the avatar base and then we later find out that he was the son of colonel quaritch and someone else but 
I want to point out very importantly that this is not treated like a mystery box thing. It's literally just actually it's people complain about the dialogue in this movie. The only time I think it gets really bad is the reveal of this, which isn't it's not technically the reveal in the writing, but it's like Kiri, Loak, and Spider are all chilling in the Avatar base, joking about who Grace's dad might be. And then out of nowhere, Spider just goes, Well guys, it could be worse. You could know who your dad was, and it could be mine. And they're all like, ooh. Sorry, Spider. And then we cut to Quaritch. And it's, like, great. Like, I mean, I thought that was a great moment, too. Well, I just, just think it's really funny that Spider gets... Anytime you can drive that nail in deeper, it's well, like, yes! Well, but Spider just gets, like, so serious for a second. I don't know. He's like, I don't know. You could have my dad. And it's like, I'm just sure it this is, has been, is. like, fleshed out between the two of you multiple times before who your dad is. It is clunky execution of a good concept. Even a good, even a good like concept of the moment of that shot, it's yeah. You know, one moment people have been complaining about to me is the moment late. See, we're just hopping around. Is later on where like they convince um, the other members of the water tribe, the other men in the water tribe, convince Loak to go fishing with them off the reef. And some people I know have been complaining about the line that like is the like thing where Loak's like, I don't know, my dad said I have to stay near us, and he's like. Oh, I guess I picked the wrong brother. And a lot of people are like, ooh, that line's clunky. Like, nah, as, as someone who was a middle child, if someone tells, like, I mean, I guess it is clunky, but to me, I'm like, nah, I get that. Like, all these people in this movie talk this weird way. So I get the sentiment behind this line. So I don't, I don't, I don't feel like singling it out as like, that's clunky is silly. I, I like, you know, like, I think it's yeah. fine. It works in the moment to me. It get, gets right to the point of what it needs to do. It's three, it's a three hour long movie. So just, just get to the point. Like, it works. Let's yeah. talk about the Water Tribe a bit. Kate Winslet and Cliff Curtis. Cliff Curtis is fantastic in this movie. He's killing it. He's not yeah. in a lot. He's got the scene where he trains J- Jake, and it's great. But, like, he's really good at it. Um, yeah. And, and like, I, th- I mean, I think, like, Kate Winslet's character is really interesting. And um, I think Kate Winslet's doing a lot of a little, but it's also, like... Very weird. That's I don't. Yeah, for, why? Why? What do you mean? Why? Well, it's. Uh, oh, I, why? I why is she in it? Why is it Kate Winslet? Is yeah, that what you're saying? Yeah, like, I mean, it's just like this this thing where we've kind of accepted that like non-white actors, like I mean, like we I should say the Navi are not white, and that is kind of a, a metaphor of the film. Yeah, I would agree is, with that because it's like because so in the original no, you're correct. In the now that you're saying that that is correct because in the original film, the only white Navi we get are the avatars. So you're correct to say like, why is Kate Winslet white? And now that you're pointing that yeah. out to me, although I believe Jake's kids are also white, but also like they're Jake's kids, so like some of well, Jake's kids just, are white. I mean, that's that's just part of it. Is is like it's it's this even. Even though it is dances with wolves, it's pretty pretty careful about you know it's like this is a this is a movie about about white people and about non-white people and about colonialism kind of yeah and I just think Kate Winslet is kind of, I don't my issue with Kate Winslet it has nothing to do with the race which I'm white guys so apologies if I'm being like insensitive. Uh, I feel like I'm going to get canceled just for saying it like that, but it's whatever. I'm going to move on. Um, my issue of Kate, it's just like, why do you get such a big actor for this role? <laughs> like, you know, like, it's very much like, huh? 
Especially when you're, what you're pointing out is like, yeah, it's breaking the internal casting rules of this world. But it's also just like, Kate Winslet is like the biggest actor in this movie. Like, she's the only Oscar winning actor in this movie, I believe, right? Um, although Jemaine Clement should have an Oscar by now, let's be real. Um, and it's also Zoe Saldana probably should have an Oscar. Like, if she did, like, she should have, she should have got a special achievement Oscar for the first movie. That's my hot take. She's so great in the first movie. Um, she's the whole, I think she is the reason the first movie works is her performance. Um, Mm -hmm. this movie has more stuff going on in it, so. But, anyway. It's just weird that Kate Winslet has this nothing role. And then Cliff Curtis is given this... I mean, I love Cliff Curtis. Cliff Curtis is great in this movie, but it's like... Huh? <laughs> like... In general, this movie yeah. has a woman problem outside of Kiri. I feel like. And even Kiri I want to see more of. Mm-hmm. Which... May we talk about Kiri? Because we said we are going to talk about Kiri more. There's... The most mind-blowing shot of this movie to me... Is when Loak... No, it's when the whales show up, okay? And it's after Kiri had her seizure... And Kiri walks out of the tent, and she like has the perfect teenager gawk, like of how her how she walks. She's being dragged by her sister, and I'm just like, how did Sigourney Weaver do that? <laughs> like I'm literally just like, how how did this happen? How is this performance this good? Like how is she doing this? Because I think so much about the Robert De Niro stuff in The Irishman, and I love mm-hmm. The Irishman. I think everyone agrees that the movement in that movie is somewhat intentionally, like, old, because it's, like, these old people are remembering their story. But then it's also, like, in this movie... Uh, I don't know who said that, but sure. (laughs) I mean, some people do that to, like, excuse the movie. I'm like, sure, whatever, I I don't care. (laughs) But, like, then there's this moment where Sigourney Weaver just walks out of a tent. I'm like, that's a teenager, but it's also Sigourney Weaver. What is going on? I need to see, like, the BTS of this moment. Like, my, my friend who I've told you about who had that look at that wet rope meme, um, where, like, early on, where it's like, how did this rope get so wet? Like, in the shot of Avatar 2's trailer. Mm-hmm. In this moment, I'm like, I need to see the BTS of the scene. I need to see Sigourney Weaver doing this walk. Or I need to see the body double they had to do this walk. Because it has to be human doing the walk. Like, it, it, like, it looks too natural. But, like, how? How is this so good? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, personally, in my, in my deep heart, I, I don't think that they're just going to let actors do whatever and then not edit the shit out of everything. Cause I've seen some of the BTS and it's like, there are differences and you know, maybe something like that would be a pain in the ass, but also it, it just wouldn't, you know, I'm not <laughs> saying so that, real, Mark. That, that I guess the, I'm the not point. saying that there's like, you know, I've seen the BTS of Sigourney Weaver and I think she does a great job. I'm just saying that, like, I I I just feel uncomfortable about just saying this. Like, so are you saying the the promotional part, the promotional the promotions for this movie have been all about like we need to preserve the performances because the actors have worked so hard, and it's all about like celebrating the difficulty of oh I st- I read like I read eight books I read nine books to learn how to play this character and. That's kind of been part of the advertisement for this movie. Uh, at, at the end, you know, we don't know what goes on behind the scenes. And I just think, I just think it's stupid to, if you have a bad take or something, like, you get the animators to fix it. 
I which think is it's... not about that moment in particular, because well, if that's captured well, I just, well, uh, I just am worried is... about assigning, like, well, first this off, person or that person. About that particular moment, to me, it's not even... You could, I, I guess I don't know if it's a performance thing or uh, a visual effect thing, but regardless to me, it is the most, it's in a weird way, I'm like, this is the biggest spectacle I've got out of this movie, is watching this 70-year-old woman play this 14-year-old girl, and I don't know if this is her or the visual effects people, but she is moving exactly like one, and it is crazy to me. Um, yeah. I'm not saying it's not true. But I but also I think, think, like... I think it's fuzzy. I think, like, maybe, That's yeah, all. for Sigourney it's, it's collaborative, fuzzy, but I look at... Really what I, I look at Zoe Saldana in this movie, and I'm just like, I don't... I don't know. I to me, this looks like Zoe Saldana is doing a performance with like some, you know, like some. I mean, it's CGI prosthetics, but like every time I've seen the BTS of the first movie, I don't really feel like they do adjust her performance. It looks like, and I know that the only stuff they put out is the promotional stuff where it's like they definitely like didn't mess with it. But like, I look at Zoe Saldana, mm-hmm. I look at Sam Worthington, I look at Stephen Lang in this movie. I feel like all of them like I see, I, I see them, you know. But like I see them through their performances constantly. I don't really see. I mean, they might be finessing a bit in the action scenes, but besides that, I look I look at their face and how they act, and like, no, this looks exactly like how I see them act in interviews and like stuff. And it's like I don't I don't want to take away. It's kind of like it's kind of like the Gone Girl discussion, right? Where like David Fincher does this thing where he spliced together takes to get his best thing digitally, and it's like, well, can you give Ben Affleck credit for that performance then? Because this take is using six different takes at once. But it's like, mm-hmm. I mean, but he's still good in what I get to see of it, right? I feel like it's very complicated yeah. to that, what you're saying. Yeah. So if yeah, we can I count, agree. like, Rosamund Pike's performance in Gone Girl as, like, an Oscar-nominated performance, I don't know why I can't look at Zoe Saldana or Sam Worthington and be like, oh, yeah, they're doing so much great work here, you know? I guess yeah, no, I'm Sam not, Worthington I just think... good work, but... Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do um, think Sam Worthington no, is good saying... at this, but... Yeah. I'm not saying that it's it's not... And I certainly don't want to, I don't want to be part of the muddying of the waters that's, that gives people more political power to get people awards and money because the agency of an actor oh. is obscured by the process. Well, I um, think the Oscars should add them. If they were, they were to do this, they should do just a mo I don't think these performances should compete among like other actors. I think there should be a mocap category or something or a. Really, I've always said they should just do a combined mocap voice category, but then this year I watched this, I'm like, well, then every app nominee would be from Avatar 2. Like, even as someone who likes the voice performance of this, of this year, it's like, but then there's the Avatar performances that feel like tangible human beings, even though they're Navi. So. I bet I, I would be surprised if it's not already there. I, there's got to be some kind of contract law for, like... If you're, I was, I don't know if you have any insight about the thing recently where people were like, trailers can be misleading because they don't yeah. have actors in them. Yeah, yeah, I don't the know, you know, thing. Yeah, and I don't, it's kind of, because here's me talking about, I'm skeptical of what uh, promotional material feeds me, but I think that's really interesting if I, you know, I kind of half understand it, but I would be surprised if there's not some kind of contract out there that says like, if you're going to say that Ben Affleck or whoever you and use their name to promote your film, you have to have like a percentage of Ben Affleck in the final shot or like, you know, who knows what that language would even be behind the scenes saying you, you can or cannot adjust this point on their eyebrow or 
you can you can do five points changing things, but no more than five or something like that. Um, I don't know. That's something. That's an. It's an interesting thing. I, I guess. I, but I'm then surprised it's like... that Andy Serkis isn't nominated more than he is. And Andy Serkis you know. should definitely have a special achievement award by now. Like, th- there's no question to me. Like, he should have had a special achievement award for the Apes movies. He should have got a special achievement award for Lord of the Rings movies. You know, like I get if you don't want him to compete among like the non mocap performers, but like it's really obvious at this point that like the fact that he doesn't have a special award for like pioneering motion capture performance is crazy. Just like to me yeah. is like. Presuming that the sequels give her a bigger role, by the end of these movies, Zoe Saldana, if she continues giving these types of performances, she should get a special award for this role, too. Because, like, as I said, she's underused in this, but when she's used, I'm like, ah, yeah, there's the great Zoe Saldana thing that, like, has been wasted for the last 12 years in non-Avatar movies. <laughs> like, yeah, because she's so much better in these. And it's not, like, the thing is, it's not even just... It's her voice in these movies, too. It's just, like, I feel like it's brimming of emotion in roles that I don't see in other stuff that she's in. Mm-hmm. But, um, I think Loak is great. I love Pakayan, or whatever his freaking name is. Um, Pyakon? Pyakon. Yeah. Wales. Yeah, think of it like an, like an event. Pyakon. Where they make pie at con. Yeah. Uh, I did want to mention one other thing in the second act, which might be in the first act, but it's about Spider, which is with the high frame rate, is that moment where Spider is getting tortured and it's like strobing you in high frame rate. I was like, yeah, give this to me. <laughs> give me this high frame rate strobe. It's great. Mm-hmm. What are you looking on your phone? To talk about that, watching Andy Circus BTS footage is amazing. Yeah. I, I have liked some of his behind-the-scenes stuff more than I have. Like, You've told me that your favorite know. thing about The Last Jedi is watching, like, the Snoke behind-the-scenes footage. Have I really? Because that's yeah. true, and I, I'm... Yeah, that's cool that that is a it real thing out. that happened. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, sorry. I just I had to make sure that he won something. Otherwise, we'd have to do something about it. But, yeah. Anyway, sorry, what were you saying? Well, I was just going to say, like, the, I was still talking about the strobe sequence in HFR, that's all. The high frame rate oh, strobe. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I loved it. Where they torture a kid, and it's like, great, this is so exciting. And then, like, Quartz is like, I'll take care of him. And then Eddie Falco's like, he's not your son. Then you get this really mm-hmm. sweet scene between Quartz and Spider. Even though yeah. Spider's like, get away from me. You're not my dad. And he's like, yeah, I'm not. Good news. Um, mm-hmm. But... Um, it is a great scene. We gotta talk about the second act a bit more, and then we gotta talk about the third act that you don't like. Um, second yeah. act, whales. Whales. There really is not a lot to talk. I mean, it is to me. It's like there's no plot really in the second act, but that's great. Like other than the court, like you know, you cut back to Quaritch, and Quaritch is like moving slowly closer and closer to them, which is good because mm-hmm. you know it gives you that ticking time bomb where it's really just solely the solely's hanging out. But then you get like. You get all this low act development. You get to me. I was what I told you. I was watching the trailer, rewatching the trailer before getting on here. I I really like the title drop in this movie. I love the monologue about the way of water. It's very touching. It's very emotional. I made a mistake the second time I saw it. Going to the bathroom during the scene where um um Korch gets his um the flying thing. <laughs> I forget what they're called. Um, oh yeah, I forget too. 
Yeah, but then I was like, well, because, you know, I saw it once. I was like, I can miss this scene. And I come back in, the wa- the way of water monologue is starting. I'm like, oh, I want to get to my seat for this. And I felt really bad. I was, like, bumbling over these people to get to my seat for that monologue. But I think it is really, I think it's, I, I think the thing that's unique about Avatar compared to, like, every other franchise now, and honestly, every big franchise since 2009, is that it is aiming to get you to, to this, like, serenity level. And whether or not it achieves that or not is completely up to your buy-in into it. But I usually buy in pretty heavily into it. But it's also just like, it just feels philosophical and nice and spiritual in a way I feel like movies don't anymore. Which feels ironic because, you know, these movies are just like big CGI festivals. But it's like, but they're beautiful. And it makes me feel happy to see this whale, this guy hanging out with a whale. It makes me feel happy to see this this woman talking about the way of water and how we're all connected between life and death. And I just think it's sweet. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Well, I think that it is rare in like a big budget action movie to have a big quiet moment about and, and to take that seriously, that spiritual moment. And then it's quiet like... Marvel movies more spiritual. Why couldn't okay. Doctor Strange be about spiritualism? I mean, the closest I think a movie gets to being about spiritualism in Marvel is um, moments of the first Black Panther, but it's only, like, moments. You know, it's oh, not yeah, really ever right. fully there. Yeah. Well, I mean, Black... That's, that's actually... Because I think there's a different thread going through that movie that... Like, not... I mean, the spiritual nature of Avatar 2 doesn't exactly... Oh no! Yeah, it's not movie. like that. I mean, but I do, of... I do think you can take the Killmonger portions of Black Panther one out, and it's like its own. That that kind of stands apart from the rest of the film. Yeah. That like Martin Freeman is. Well, I'm in. even thinking stuff where it's like you know, well, I mean, yes, definitely from the Martin Freeman part of the movie. But I think stuff where it's like T'Challa talking to his dad is like very like. I mean, mm-hmm. I very specific. I think there are moments like the the. Sigourney Weaver moment of this movie where Kiri has a seizure in high frame rate. Um, <laughs> uh, maybe she was too busy watching Spider being tortured. I'm sorry. That probably wasn't a good joke, but. No, I um, mean, I, I kind of, I wonder about that. It's like, you know, I see a lot, I watch a lot of YouTube videos where that's a warning, and I know some, like, Star Wars things. I mean, I know the theater, too. the theater is that it has, like, an epilepsy warning in front of Avatar 2. It's like, there are some strobing in this movie. Yeah. Um, but I just think about that, like, very much, like, yeah, every, I mean, that's kind of just on the surface, though. It's like, yeah, there's a person talking to a dead person. There you go, you know? But, and that's what I was going to point out to you, is that at the end of the movie, Jake communes with his dead son in um, the tree. So, yeah, they can see their ancestors in the tree when they visit. Oh, yeah. And... Do I like I, how it kind of implies that there's time travel going on there. I think it's something where it's... I I, I really like the last scene. The last scene in the movie is one of the things that makes me emotional. Because it's like... Mm-hmm. I don't want to say it's a cheap cut. Because it's not a cheap cut. But it is something I've seen before where it's like... He's talking to, you know... He's talking to his son in a memory. And then his son... Suddenly his age when he died. And he's like, why are you crying, dad? And I just feel the intense emotion at that scene. Where he's like, no, let me bury myself back into this memory of my son. And I'm just like, this is so nice. And then Nateri just watches from the corner. <laughs> and it's like, oh, I wish you were in this movie, Nateri, more. <laughs> but yeah. 
I want to talk about the scene that you told me you want to talk about, and I think it's the reason you're wearing the hat, which is the Whalers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Jermaine Clement being in this movie, yeah, giving an accent of some he's kind. Easily. The, this, ah, oh, man, I guess, I guess I've really gushed over Miles Quaritch's story. Gotta say, hard fourth or fifth is that Jermaine Clement is in this movie as a scientist and he has an American accent. He has an attempt at an American accent. He has an attempt at an American accent. Let's be very clear. I mean, it's pretty pretty there. He's really worked the R's and I think sometimes you hear a little bit of the rhythm still there, but like, he's pretty on. I I gotta assume that he will be, um... He'll be back in the upcoming ones because I don't understand why you cast Jermaine Clement in the role he has at all. He's just—he's—he's the scientist guy who's like, I don't like this whaling, but it pays for this, you know. Yeah. Otherwise, he doesn't really have a role. Um, yeah. I, I feel bad because I feel like people listening to this are gonna be like, Nah, talk about talk about the second act, talk about all this cool stuff that happens. But it's like, well, we can, I don't know. I feel like it's, no, but I feel like it speaks for itself a lot of it. You know, it's like. They dive, there's whales, it's beautiful, it's great, and then there's the court stuff, which is, like, plot development, which is, like, also really good. Like, I think about the scene where they go, like, to the other tribe, and they're just begging for their life, and Spider's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry! And then they kill the, they don't kill the whale, they kill, like, the, the, what, like, I don't even know what kind of thing, I kind of look at it like a Lapras, like the Pokemon, <laughs> like the Lapras Pokemon. <laughs> and they oh, kill yeah. one of those and they're like, No! And I'm like, oh, that hurts. Because, yeah, the Navi, they're cool. I wish I was a Navi. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not engaging. I refuse. <laughs> um, Yeah. Yeah, this is kind of like Act 2. And then, like... It's so weird because the first Avatar, I think the, you know, the big midway point is when they burn the tree. That feels like the midway to me. But it's but that's kind in the of second like, act. If you actually look at the timestamps on it, that's like at the beginning of the second hour of Avatar. Is the midway when he gets on the Banshee? Which is I think the so. The I think that's the midway point. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the act is so weird. I mean, is the thing is with the whale. So I guess. The whale of water. Maybe. Maybe the whale of water. <laughs> um, some, something about my experience of the film, as I think reveals there, that like act two is so long, and then there's kind of like an act two and a half while we watch a whale hunt, and then act three happens. Which and in the whale hunt, we get the, the exposition of... about the uh, these whale juice can. Uh, this whale juice gives you infinite life, and it's like okay. <laughs> and yeah, we just move right on. It's like I guess that's set up for another one. I guess that will. I hope that it will come back in three or four because otherwise it's like, why? Like, how is this yeah. relevant? Oh my god! I mean, I love that. This is. This I, mean, I assume tr- everything truly, that's like a throwaway moment like it will about... be relevant down the road. You know. What? Yes. Yes. Every, this is everything I love about sci-fi. Is we're we're getting into the big the big questions here, so. That part whale was juice? great. Yeah, whale juice. And we get the moment where Loak bonds with, uh, say the name because I'm going to butcher it again. Pyakon. And we get like a flashback invention. from the whale's point of view. 
an HFR 3D, but also tempted to look like a whale's eye. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. I, I'll be very honest. I love the movie. I've seen it twice. I don't really know what happens in that scene. And I just go to the next yeah, scene where like, Loax like, he was just trying to protect them. <laughs> so I'm like, okay. Yeah, be, well, it's because the movie clearly knows that it has to explain whaling. But, like, when that happens, it's you very, it's very, like, unclear. And, I mean, even even when he says what happened, which is that Pyacon, like, rallied the whales to try and stop the whalers, like, how on earth would you portray that? Like, you should have just said it. <laughs> I mean, I really want the extended cut where we get, like, a 20-minute sequence of just the whales moaning to each other, and they go, like, let's go! And then they all die besides uh, Pyacon. <laughs> I'm never gonna pronounce his name. I'm sorry. It's I'm sorry, no. I mean, you're, that's that's basic. That's basically it. Um, but I, yeah, really, real, real missed up. You know, maybe this is like the this fan is the short. Special. This is the Christmas special, Pycon's Revenge, <laughs> and it is all subtitled whale talk, and they really need to lean in to like the complexity of what they can make these whales say to each other. <laughs> Oh, I love the whales. They're so great. Like, I, 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 we keep saying that, but, like, the whales in this movie, I'm just like, they're beautiful. I love them. Yeah. Um, all right, so we get this big whaling sequence, and that's what leads us into the third act. Because they kill, mm-hmm. um, I think they call it the soul sister, right? Or something like that. Or my spirit sister. I think of, it's um, spirit sister. Okay, what's this character? <laughs> um... And we're yeah. also told that these whalers go explicitly after, like, the ones with new babies. Which makes us all really sad because Kate Winslet waited to have another baby until her whale friend could have a baby. And now her whale friend's baby is dead, and so is the whale. Um, mm-hmm. R.I.P. Brendan Fraser. It'd be really awkward if Brendan Fraser dies between now and the time this podcast comes out. Um, <laughs> he's on a comeback. He'll be fine. It's true. He's got to be. He's got to be in one of these now. He's got to voice the whale in like a dream sequence. <laughs> um, very, very lazy joke of mine. I'm sure other people have made the joke multiple times since this movie came out. Um, mm-hmm. Anyway, um, this is like when those two Snow White movies came out at the same time. Yeah, the whale and the whale. Um, mm-hmm. Avatar. I I haven't seen the whale yet, but I presume the way of water is a better film. Um, and it would be another like Alien versus Predator. They <laughs> <laughs> do a crossover with Predator versus Pi. Um. So need funding for all, Avatar three. When this all happens, um, Jake's like, "You need to warn. You need to warn your your." The whale said this, and he like pulls up like the harpoon marker thingy. This is, this is gonna kill your friends. So it's like an inverse of the first movie. Goes like, this is our land. He's like, no, this isn't our land. Let's run away. Um, yeah. Which is really to point out that Jake Sully is like by. I guess I think this movie has protagonist is Loak. Like I think that's pretty clear. He's the one who's driving the plot most of the time, other than Corridge. Even though, like, obviously Jake is given, like, the big protagonist fight at the end. I don't think Jake is really mm-hmm. doing anything other than uprooting his family. And then once he does, it, the focus is more on the kids. Yeah. 
And even before he operates the family, the focus is more on the kids, which I think is fine. I think the kids are more interesting than he is. Um, mm. But I think he's interesting. I just think he's he's a he's an interesting side character. I think it's I think it's really interesting that he becomes a military dad. I, I like, think so I don't too. know. I'm still on how cool that I'm. What a cool de, uh, escalation of the of, um, development of that is. But, I, I think yeah. in general, I think Jake's arc in this movie is very interesting, and I hope that the next movie continues where I think it's going, because I think the way this movie ends is kind of like him going, like, I learned the lesson, but I also still think that a father's role is to protect. And I'm like, eh, I guess you didn't really learn your lesson then, because that's not what this movie taught you. You're, um, I, I don't want to get to, that's, that's in the third act. I want to talk about something. There's a very big moment in the third act I want to talk about. But anyway, so these whales, um, Jake tells them all to run away. The... The water people don't really want to do it, but then Loak goes to warn his friend Papayakin, but Papayakin has already been marked for dead by the whalers, which launches us into the third act, because obviously Loak isn't going to leave his whale friend to die, and they do all work together to save the whale. We we skipped this entire thing about the whale being an outcast, but oh, the yeah. whale's He's an outcast. outcast. Because he tried to take some lives, and the whales are like, no, not even in self-defense can we kill other things. Yeah, which, which is, is cool, but kind of like, dope. Yeah, like I got, I got to support the whales on this like yeah, hard line. Another really like, interesting concept, which is kind of like buried under the weight of water, the film, the weight of water. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but so they they save Papayakin, but then we get this really cool. Oh, and they they tell you they I don't they got like this calm system. But they use constantly for which I, I guess I don't need to be like where did they get this tech from because they literally got it from you know the whole Avatar people the, the science people. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have this really nice scene. Sorry, we skipped over this in the second act. We have this scene where Kiri gets a seizure, which isn't nice. But the scene I like about that is like Norm Spellman and Dilip Rao. Come, and this is how jumping back. This is how um, Quaritch finds out where they are because they easily gets his line. Yeah, delete Rao gets his line, but we get this one, the one moment Kate Winslet has in the movie besides crying about her whale friend I like, where she screams at everyone, I want to take care of your daughter, basically, and then Zoe's all the time, I was like, get out, get out, and sure enough, they do like an acupuncture thing, and it works out, because the Navi are cool, Damn, and they can real? do that. Yeah. Yeah, the Navi are really cool. Yeah, I love them, they're great. Um, <laughs> um, but anyway, back to the third act, um... All the troops are rallied. We get this moment where Cliff Curtis is like, Kate Winslet, don't come with us, you're pregnant. And Kate Winslet's like, I ride! And then she runs to her, like, thing. And we get this really great shot of all of them, like, going on their, like, dragonfly thingies towards the whale. Um, meanwhile, Kayakin is freed, but now all the kids are being chased in the water. And it's this big, escalating third-act action set piece that lasts about 40 minutes. And for the first time, I was like, is this the third act? And then, like, by the time the whale was jumping on the ship, I was like, ah, this is the third act. And that's, like, ten minutes. I have a complaint. I think that that should have been one shot. And that is... It happens at other points in the film. But really, I I don't... I feel like that should have been one, like, long... That should have been the long take, is when the whale jumps on the ship. I don't think James Cameron does the long take, though. Yeah. I think that's not his style. 
I think the idea is what is going to be the coolest 3D image I'm going to give you, and then I'm going to cut around it to give it to you from different angles, and it's going to look cool. Mm, yeah, well, they did it during the credits. It's, it's kind true. of like that shot of the whale is what I I remember thinking. Of that. I was like, oh, this is what I wanted during. That was, I wanted to I wanted to have like the cheer moment. And I mean, you I, get I, like, the cheer I mean, moment. Sure. <laughs> to me, I get the cheer moment later on, where um the um. Because I presume Jermaine Clement wins, but the other whaler gets the best death in the movie easily, where oh, he dies yeah. He dies by his arm being torn off and thrown towards you. Because the thing I also want to point out about the... So his arm gets torn off, but every shot preceding it for about saw 20 seconds is like the low frame rate, but then as soon as his arm gets thrown off, it's high frame rate, and it goes right towards the camera, and I'm like, this is great, I love 3D. It's fantastic. <laughs> Show me this arm flying towards me. It's great. Um, mm-hmm. But then we get this... We get the scene we talked about earlier, basically, where... Um, what's going on back and forth is... The older brother saves Loak, but then Loak's like, we gotta save Spider. This is our only chance. And the older brother's like, alright, we'll go do that. And then the older brother, they all work together to save Spider. But on their way out... Um, the older brother gets shot and starts bleeding out and dying and it's really sad but not really because we're not really attached to the older brother but I am attached to I'm attached to Natiri's reaction to you know what I mean like that's the thing to me is like I might not be yeah. attached to this brother but I feel both Sam Worthington and I feel both Jake and Natiri's grief in this moment so it still works that's what I mean like yeah. Jake is really good at like not when I actually say Sam Worthington, but I say Jake. But Sam Worthington is really good in this in the sense that, like, if he was not at, if he was not, like, near Natiri's level in that scene, that scene doesn't really work. And then he also says, like, this really cruel thing to, I can't remember exactly what he says, but he, like, says to Locke, he's like, this is your fault. How dare you not be looking out for your, like, and it's just, like, this whole rough thing. He's like, I don't want you helping with me because you're just going to mess it up again. And it, like, really hurts. And it's, like, really sad. And then we yeah. get this really badass sequence of just Natiri and Jake attacking the thing. Pause on the third act. I need to jump back to the wailing scene. Because I forgot to say my one actual complaint about the movie. Aha! Uh-huh. May we I? We are equals. The wailing scene. so different, you and I. Okay. The wailing scene. The whale gets killed. The soul sister of Kate Winslet. What music do we hear? The exact same track of when the tree falls in the first Avatar movie. It is the exact same music, just reused. It's super distracting if you've rewatched the first Avatar <laughs> last year. And anytime someone watches all these movies in a row, it's going to be distracting. I think this, and it's because James Horner's dead. Obviously, I understand James Horner was a great talent, and he's lost, and that's why this guy they got was his protege. So I don't think he wants to like stray from the themes too much. But I'm just like, man, if all five of these movies are going to have the same score, I would like to have someone, like, bring something new to it. And I do think there are moments where this sounds really good, but for the most part, it just kind of is like, I was expecting more. Especially at that moment, where it's like, it should be this big emotional moment, and instead I'm like, why are they playing the same music when the tree falls? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's my one complaint about the movie, I think the score's bad. Mm. Did they not, like, add, like, do 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 because they're underwater? I think there are some new underwater themes, but it's like very specifically there are moments where it just plays the exact same motif from the first movie when it's like trying to hit the same emotion. And I'm just like, lame. Give me something new, you know? 
Okay, so back to the third act. Act three. Yeah, Pakaikin. Oh, we're already past that. Pakaikin has kind of pieced out at this point. Um, but yeah, during this big... He is written out of the film. Well, no, no, he comes back. He comes back. The people who are written out of the film is the other tribe. <laughs> they just kind of disappear after they fight a little bit. But I don't really care that much. Who cares? Like, I, I, whatever. I'm not, I'm not here to watch them fight. It's not their fight. They're here to save a whale. They save the whale. They're like, all right, bye. Like, the soys can figure out this stuff on their own. Which, to be fair, they do. So, yeah, Jake, Natsiri attack the ship because Kiri was, and the younger sister, whose name is, I have it open now, actually. Tuck. Uh, Kiri and Tuck were retaken. We get this really James Cameron line where someone grabs Kiri and goes, I got you, Buttercup. And she goes, back off. Purr. And it's like the most James Cameron moment of the entire movie, which I feel like is saying a lot, but I also think it's accurate. I think that it's the most James Cameron line of dialogue we ever get in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they get tied up and we get that joke I mentioned earlier where it's like, I can't believe I'm cuffed again to the ship. And anyway, so like Jake and Atiri get this awesome scene where Natiri is being really, like, you know, badass. And Jake's also being kind of cool. But Jake, you know, Jake just uses a gun. And Natiri, like, uses her staff and her bow, and it's always really cool. And actually, one of that stuck to me is really sad is at the end of this sequence, she gets her bow bro- broken. And earlier on in the movie, they reestablished that it's, like, the last thing her father gave to her. So when her bow breaks, I'm kind of like, dang, she's really losing it all. She lost her son. Now she lost her dad's bow. Which, like, I think really sets up the moment we talked about earlier briefly where she grabs Spider after Quaritch grabs Kiri. And it's, like, this intensely acted scene by all four of them. And it's, like, great. It's fantastic. Love it. I guess Spider's probably the weakest of the four, but also he's the only one who's an actual kid in that scene, so I guess we can forgive the actor a little bit. I'm not going to attack this 16-year-old guy for doing his best. And even he's doing good. He's still doing good. That's a great scene. That's a great moment. I do then, have the same issue of like, we kind of we kind of forgot about that. That's kind of an act one thread that we kind of forgot about. Yeah, but we talk, yeah we said that earlier. It's like the second act should definitely like have more Natiri stuff that sets it up more because obviously Kiri is depressed most of the movie that like her her thinly veiled love interest is no longer there. You know what like maybe, yeah. um. But then Korich is like, all right, I'll let go Kiri. And that happens. But then they all try to escape. And Jake's like, he's like, I'm never going to stop until I kill you, Jake. And Jake's like, let's finish this now then. And then the HFR kicks back in. And they're got to get in a fight while the Solis try to swim away. But then, of course, the oil tanker around them sets on fire. And then we get this great sequence where it becomes Titanic for 20 minutes. Because they all get too deep into the wreck of the water. <laughs> of the ship. And actually one of the coolest moments to me in that moment, that scene is at the very beginning of it. When the youngest daughter gets sucked down the crevice and it's actually really terrifying for a second. And you're like, what oh, are they going to yeah, do? And so of course, fast. The t- what? It's so fast. Yeah, and then what are they going to do? And the tree, of course, dives right in after her daughter. It's like, yeah! But then it's like, we get this really cool scene where it's like, you know, the ship is sinking, so the gravity is shifting all around them in a way. 
and it just looks really cool. And it's, of course, also all this is in 3D, so it's really good. And uh, then, like, um, you know, Quartz, they fight a bit. I think Jake wins fair and square, right? And he knocks out Quartz, and Quartz sinks to the bottom. Or does, like, this, is it a cheap shot? I can't remember. I don't think it really matters. Oh, um, I don't know. I don't, I don't remember. I don't remember if it was fair or not. Yeah, I guess it was, but Quartz gets knocked out, which leaves Spider to save him to ex- get Spider out of the third act. And I see, you know, I see some people on Twitter being like, why did Spider save him? That's so dumb. They're just setting it up for, I'm like, no. I think their relationship is developed enough for me to buy that Spider would save him. And it'd be really weird if Spider abandoned him. And I think also puts Quartz in this weird place to be like, oh, my son, my son, you know, in the next one. I, again, what could they do Quartz in this movie is great. Um, and then we get to the scene that makes me cry, which is Loak goes in after Jake to try to find Jake. Uh, well, no, it's Jake and Spider. Loak and Spider go in together, and Spider, you know, sees Korich because they split up, and Loak finds Jake. And Jake's like, I don't know if I can make it, man. I, I really don't know how to swim. I did not, like, I can't dive this well. And then Loak reprises the way of water model on him. And. It's like, you just gotta, like, breathe from here. And it becomes this beautiful moment where Kiri does the same thing and tracks down Itiri. And Tuck using her, like, Awa powers. And we get the beautiful bioluminescence from her leading their way out with the, like, breathing apparatus for Natiri. And there's this moment where it's just, like, you realize what the whole movie was kind of about, at least in James Cameron's eyes, was parents learning from their children. Um, that's what I think the whole movie's about. That's what I think, at least, what mm. he's aiming for. And you get this, like, thing where it's, like, all their kids... Well, all the kids are saved by what their parents were dismissive of. Because Loak, you know, is always the one that Jake's like, why can't you be like your brother? And then Loak leads his way out and just when it looks like Jake's about to drown, who comes to save them but the Pykin, who is only there because Loak befriended him against Jake's wishes. And then, of course, when they submerge from the water, you hear Jake just go to Loak. He's like, Loak, I see you. And it's like this immensely powerful moment where, yes, it's like the Avatar line, but it's also like this moment where like you're the father sees the son for the first time as his own individual, not as... Oh, that's my, that's the younger row of my kids. Where you, he actually sees Loak for all he is. And I just find it so emotionally powerful. Especially also, again, during that whole escape, you hear Loak's monologue of doing the way of water thing, where it's like, the way of water is, it's there at the beginning of your life and there at the end of your life. And it's like, I, I just find it emotionally powerful. And of course, also like in the 3D with the bioluminescence and then with the whale, like, you know, popping up, it's just like, I just find it an emotionally overwhelming moment to me. Um, mm. I find it truly a beautiful... Like, that's where I'm like, this movie is beautiful and works to me on an emotional level where it's like, yes, there are... Mo- like, it's not a 5 out of 5 movie. I already said that. Like, to me, it's not as tight as the first one. I think there are moments where the characters don't necessarily really work well and it's the juggling so much stuff that inherently some stuff I'm going to feel like... Like, again, with Nateria, I wish there was more of her. But it's also just to me, it's like it still feels emotionally so powerful at the end in this big way that does not feel forced to me at all. I feel like the entire movie was leading to that moment. And mm-hmm. I'm like, yes, give this to me. Like, this this feels so powerful. And, and the only thing I wish is I remember I wish that we'd let it, 
lay a bit more on the because I, I remember it's like he's like Loak I see you and then immediately like Natiri comes in to hug them all, and Kiri come in to hug them all I'm like oh I wish we could just stay on this one a bit with just the two of them more before we have to have everyone group hug but I love it it gives me so emotionally because it's like this is where we get to the looking for the ocean part of Pixar during I said alright I'm gonna drink some water before I get into the way of water. The way of water. I remember when I left the movie and I'm like, the first time I saw it, I was like, ooh, I had a headache in the back, how or this, so I don't know how much I liked it or not, but I will say that as a middle child, this movie really resonated with me, is that I feel like you watch this movie, I feel like it's really, and I think it's obvious, like, you know, because Cameron always plays in archetypes. Um, Loak is the middle child, even if he is the second born of four kids. Or third born of four kids. I don't know where Kiri really falls, but you know what I mean. He's the middle child for all intents and purposes of the story. Because obviously Tuck is the baby, so everyone likes her. Kiri's got her weird thing going on with Awa that Jake's just concerned about. And then obviously the oldest kid is the oldest kid. who Jake is very, like, focused on. So, you know, we get this moment at the end where I think... I don't want, because again, this isn't really like about my dad, but there are moments in my life, you know, where, you know, you're the middle kid. And it's like when I was growing up, my brothers, both my brothers, they did debate. I did speech. I've been the more artistically driven person in my family. And my brothers are the people who, you know, go off and do actuary stuff or engineering stuff. Whereas I'm like, I'm at a dead end job at like a daycare center trying to get the earth like trying to write a play but only getting one out once in every, in four years um and this isn't self-loafing hour with danny this is just me just laying out like the way i see it where it's like you know when my dad went to my play this year and you know afterwards he was like danny that was like really great and i'm really glad you worked on it that meant so much to me because it's like you know i it's not like I'm trying to get approval from my parents. I don't think Loak is trying to get approval. Jake's just, Loak's just trying to save his dad in that moment. He's not trying to like make up for killing his brother because he doesn't even, like it was an accident. He doesn't, he was like, we both chose to save Spider. But in that moment where he's like, I see you, it's like all those intense feelings of when, you know, your parents just look at you and are proud of you for something you've done that isn't, because my dad, my dad is an, editor when he was um working and neither of my parents i say are very artistically in mind minded but then when he says you know when he's like no that was like good and that was and there was something where my dad my parents didn't really like my they thought my shamrock it was like my shamrock chick play they're like it was weird but i like the effort you put in this but with my new play they were like no that was like really great and you really gave something to this community by writing it for them i'm like well they're they're giving me some money too, but you know what I mean. Like <laughs> anyway, all this to say is like when that particular moment happens, and it is very much framed like only Loak could sh- save Jake in this moment. That to me is the movie. That is why this movie resonates with me probably more than the first movie, even though I think the first one is a tighter film. That is why I will keep revisiting this movie, not for the visuals, but because of the emotional ecstasy I get at that sequence. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were like, I thought this was a bonus episode. I didn't know we were going to get to Danny's 
Uh, <laughs> well, no, I mean, we usually do if we have a bonus episode. It's true. You're like, um, I'm no, that's good to. stuff. I mean, I don't, it's, I mean, it's, I can't really speak because I, I do not like the movie more and more <laughs> as, as it goes on, especially. And at that, that point for me is like, ah, this is the end. So they're doing the monologue. And that was my thought during it. I have, I'm not going to. I have nothing to add to your beautiful experience, which hearing you talk about that, um, that is true. And I found that quite touching, much more than I did Avatar 2. Well, the way of water connects us all, Mark. And then we get a nice little epilogue scene where he goes, your son is buried with us now, you're water people now. And then we get that moment where, like, we get the monologue from the beginning of the movie. Yeah, you can collect every race. You know. Anyway, sorry. What were you saying? <laughs> no, I was gonna say we get the monologue before the be- we get the monologue at the beginning of the movie where he go like, "Oh my god, that was like so long ago we had this monologue." Not like the way of water monologue where it's a callback, but like when Jake starts giving the monologue he gives at the beginning of the movie, you're like, "Oh my god, what? We've been here for three hours," and you're like, "Yeah, I've been here for three hours. That checks out." And then you get the nice little moment where Jake's like meeting with his son, and then you get like, now nah, I'm gonna actually stop the humans. It's like, alright, well, we'll be back We'll be back here in two years. <laughs> like, and the weekend starts singing. Yeah, he does. <laughs> Man, he's really up in the world there. It's yep, fun. <laughs> First Fifty Shades of Grey, now Avatar The Way of Water. Mm-hmm. It's funny that they don't, like, write an original song exactly, they just put lyrics over the music from the movie. I think it still qualifies I, as an original song, though, type of thing. Oh, it does, but I just mean, I, I feel like... Do you ever see Maverick? Top Gun Maverick? No. Does it have a song? It has the Lady Gaga song at the end of it, which is utilized in the score throughout, so that way when the song finally starts playing, you're like, what? This is just the score. And then it's like, oh, wait, but they like probably wrote it around the same time. Like, oh, you know? oh, 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 no, it's, it's the Lady Gaga song. What's funny is the Lady Gaga song is not as big a hit as the um, other song. Do you mean the original Top Gun Maverick soundtrack? No, there's the other song from Top Gun Maverick where it's um, uh, One Republic. And it's mm. used during the um, volleyball scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, Mark, we have another hour to go if we want to catch up with the runtime of After the Point of what? Water. <laughs> I'm uh... joking, I'm joking. <laughs> Well, uh, I guess it's time to fight uh, fight each other for 40 minutes. And this yeah, was a good like movie. <laughs> oh, man. This no, you're wrong. I don't actually think you're wrong. I just it did it didn't it's not a movie that appeals to me. And I just for everything I liked about it, um you'll still be back here in 2 years. <laughs> yeah, I will. Well, baby, that's how it's made, right? That's kind of my feeling about all these films, is that this especially, this isn't a new thought, but I, why does something need to be popular, you know? Why does it need to be, like, so palatable that everyone can enjoy it? I mean, in this case, it's because Cameron needs the green light for 4 and 5. So hopefully 4 and 5 go nuts once he gets this, that green light. Yeah. But also, I think James Cameron in general is a populist filmmaker. Like, have you ever made a movie that's, like, intentionally trying to alienate audiences? I don't think so. 
You know, we were going to no. send you. I texted you that before you saw this. Like, are we going to talk about, like, your camera thought in general? Like, do you like Terminator 2? Well, I actually was looking back at the filmography of James Cameron, and I think it's pretty much a mixed bag. Basically, every movie of his, I really like, like, one or two parts of them, and then the rest I just don't like at all. Like, in Terminator 2, it's the chase scene with the truck. And with Titanic, it's when the boat splits. And I'll, actually, also, I really like the sex scene in Titanic. Um, it's like you should watch Top of the Maverick for the sex yeah. scene. Why? What happens? Is it's it like very... in a plane, but it's foggy? But in those, uh, like... It's... it's remi- The thing that reminded... I remember afterwards talking to Julius about it, and we're like... Kind of reminded us of the room sex scene, but like being in the uh, movie... It's like it's just very poorly edited and very like let's try to make this PG thirteen, but also let's try to make Tom Cruise sexy even though he is not. Um yeah. it's really bad. <laughs> the sexy <laughs> I have more people need to be talking about the top comeback sexy, and it's really bad. Um Yeah. But I mean I just I guess what I'm saying is that like none of these films are evil. It's just I I can't I, I just don't connect with them. And for this movie in particular, I was like, this movie is too long. I, that is just, that, that's what puts this on the lower rung of Cameron things for me. I think my top one might be Aliens. I my think. top one is Titanic. Then Terminator Titanic? 2. Yeah. To me, I'm like, I mean, even these long Cameron movies. Well, I like Titanic, too. I haven't seen... I remember, like, watching Titanic all the way through and thinking, like, oh my gosh, yeah. But then I I put it on the other day, and I was like, eh, it's kind of the same thing, where I'm just... His movies just don't have a lot of forward momentum for me. It... And I do not know how to explain this. I just do not get a lot of, like, the question from one scene to the next of, like, what will happen does not exist for me with James Cameron movies. Like, the spectacle is either there or it isn't. I've never, like... I'm never, like, dragged along by the tension. It is just... It's either on or off for me. I mean, and I to do me, not know I think, how to break that apart. As I said, what I think is interesting about Avatar 2, and what I think... I just think... It's a spectacle that the only com- comparison I can give it to is the How to Train Your Dragon movies, you know? Where it's, like... The spectacle is we're just chilling with these people in the ocean for like for like an hour. And it's really cool and it's vibing. And then it gets this crazy action at the end that feels very emotionally motivated. Because all well, the setup really more of the setup it did with Quaritch than with the other characters. Well what said they don't with Quaritch and with Loak is really what drives the third act to me. Mm. So it's like, yeah. It's good this is good stuff. But then it's like People like you are like, but I just wanted the action's bad. Go back to the first act. Um. Well, no. I mean, it's the same thing. It's it's like, I may, maybe I just don't know screenwriting deeply enough to get into this. But it's, I mean, that's basically it. Is like in the first act, if you give me a new idea every few seconds, I'm just hanging out, chilling. I mean, but you could turn off a James Cameron movie at any time, and I will not feel like. I have missed something by, like, not continuing watching. One thought like, I did have with this, even though I've kind of grown off it on my, my first time I watched it, but then the second time I watched it, I was like, eh, I still think it's 
I don't think it's that big of an issue, is that I definitely felt like it felt like a part one. Particularly the stuff of Kiri is just like, oh, she gets seizures when she attaches to the tree. Anyway, that would be relevant down the road, you know, mm-hmm. or like the whale juice stuff. But then it's like, I read that, um, you know, initially these, this was supposed to be like Avatar 2, 3, and 4. And then when they were writing the sequel for 2, it was like, we have to split this into 2 just because we're covering so much ground in catching up audiences to where Jake... Because, you know, in an ideal world, the movie the movie they would like to do is start when they get to the Water Tribe. But they have so much catching up to do because we've been gone for so long. Um, mm-hmm. And so really, the big... The big fight we get at the end, probably initially their plan was, this is going to be the end of Act 2, and this will be what drives Jake to go out for revenge. But then it's like, no, we got to make this longer so that we can just split the movie in two and make Avatar 3 be like the conclusion to the story. Because that's what Cameron has said, is like, Avatar 3 would conclude the story if Avatar 2 bombed that bad. Um, I still think we'll get 4 and 5, because honestly, the thing is, is like, I'll be honest, like, these are designed not necessarily to sell toys, but to sell a theme park. And to me, James Cameron offers to make you an Avatar movie. If I'm the guys at Disney, I'm going to keep saying, yeah, sure. Like, you know, especially after this, when they've already invested in all the new tech, you know, like there's not, there's going to be no really big radical leaps forward after what we've got in this. So knock on what James Cameron will probably prove me wrong. But at this point, it's like, it's like no, you should just make four space. and five. What? Oh, I was just imagining. Now we're going to space. I mean, I'm sure at some point we'll go to space. Um, that's where A was. That's what the quest for A was, going to space, hopefully. But mm-hmm. my point is for four and five, I think, um, it just, like, why wouldn't you make these movies to keep your theme park relevant? You know, you spent so much money on that Avatar thing in Animal Kingdom. Just keep, like, they're going to keep wanting to make these, I feel like, regardless, because it, that park is so popular and it just makes, and also these make, these movies make so much overseas. China is disappointing now because of a COVID surge. I'm sure Avatar 3 will be so much bigger in China when it comes out. Um, and again, most of the money went to this one. So hopefully we get four and five. I'd be surprised if we don't. And again, Cameron has kind of said he just wants to only make Avatar movies or he'll just, you know, just hang out in the ocean the rest of his life because he likes doing that too. He's like, that guy ever let me make movies? I'll just hang out in the ocean. And I'm like, yeah, like, I'd like movies. Like, mm-hmm. I guess that's my most yeah, problematic take is that I like James Cameron. Uh, that's not, that's not the most problematic thing in the world. Yeah. He's a strange, he's a, he's a complicated human being. He, his script for Aliens was... It's not actually his script for Aliens. What am I talking about? He didn't write this. Did he write the script for Aliens? Well, I'm on his wiki. He wrote it. He okay. co-wrote it. He was from a story, though, from David Giller and, of course, Walter Hill. But he wrote it. He was the final person to get yeah. screenwriting credit. Okay. Well, because I remember... Yeah, I remember, and you can just pull up the PDF right there. This was the first thing in film school that we were given as a sample script aliens to read hmm? i didn't realize that well that i was given it anyway i don't know you might have had a different track because this was because before we had that one class together i took a short film writing class and the ta that taught it was oh. really into fantasy and sci-fi 
So we got a lot of that, and all of my all of my thoughts are true. I mean, all of my thoughts are still the same. And looking back, even then, I think like, eh, you know, I, I get it's like this is a well-made script because it pleases the most amount of people. That's what makes it well-made, and it just has no it has no rough edges. I mean, it but is I think archetypal in ways, but like. But then that, you get, like, stuff in this where it's, like, the whales talk, you know? <laughs> like, Well, of course the whales talk. You say that, I but mean, none of the animals in the first one get subtitles. Well, that's because whales are, uh, like, in the real world, whales are more intelligent, and I think that's what Cameron is saying here, is that, like, these whales are smart. Which is actually another... I think I think that is my big, like... At, like why is Avatar about race problem with this movie is that it makes us care about fake whales when there are re- real whales out in the world. I mean, like, I did see a good point that the tragedy of like Avatar is like the spectacle is you get to go to these beautiful digital oceans, but because our own coral reefs are dying and no one would ever shoot a movie there because it would just kill it more. Yeah, and it's like uh, it is a bummer, but it's also like. I mean, Cameron has said also he's only making these movies because he's like, I don't really think they do too much work, but, like, I can make these as environmentally friendly as I want to. I can put as many political messages as I want to it. No, stop me. I think I'm making the world a better place by making these movies because the only other option is for me to keep deep sea diving because what else? no one else is going to listen to me on anything because I'm just a James Cameron. And I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, like, that all checks out. Like, <laughs> That's a fair take. Um, but... Like, I don't know, I just, I just, I mean, I guess if, if it were me, it's like, that's not, that's not what I would do, but if he's James Cameron, he's not me. So that's kind of, that's kind of my gripe with James Cameron is that he's not me. Well, so, what would your Avatar 2 have been titled? My Avatar 2? My Avatar 2 would have been titled Avatar 2... The Way of Brendan Fraser, and it's about Brendan Fraser, and he just, like, narrates to you about the history of sea travel and the Pacific Ocean, and, like, how Australia was found, and just, like, let's have Brendan Fraser narrate, narrate, like, a Ken Burns documentary about... I mean, did you hear who's in the, um, who's in the third one, apparently? Who? Well, first Michelle Yeoh's been confirmed to be in it, mm-hmm. but Vin Diesel is either in three or four. No one knows what he's playing yet. Hopefully, an Avi. <laughs> Great, Vin. Vin the, he's I want to see Vin Diesel as an Avi. He's the seed bear. He's he's gonna be the voice of Awa. Also, David Thewlis is the, the next one in some role. Oh man! Did you also hear about what originally Avatar Two was supposed to be? It's going to be called Avatar The High Ground. And there's now a comic book that covers it. So it was going to be set... You know how it has that one-year time jump? Avatar The High Ground is set during that one-year time jump. And it's like a comic that's like, this was the original script for the sequel. It includes the Navi's like, traveling, I think, to a satellite. Because the one thing Cameron has said about it is like, yeah, I was going to have like this scene where they bow and arrow fight in zero gravity. And it's like, ooh. <laughs> yeah. Mm. That would have been interesting, but maybe they'll, maybe they'll, I don't 
don't know, revisit that at some point. He said he didn't work because um, it wasn't spiritual enough. Mm-hmm. Which kind of makes sense. I don't really think Avatar about the spirituality is that interesting. Mm-hmm. But all I right, think that's kind what? of I, well, just just to kind of dig in about my jokey Brendan Fraser making a documentary thing. My big thing about all of James Cameron's movies that I can't get away from is is how they're made. Like they're all blockbusters. They're like gigantic sucks of money and because they're i mean it's not like archetypes just i i firmly am on the side of like i don't think archetypes are like as natural and holy as people say i feel like there's a lot of social construction so that he uses archetypes in his films i think there is you know, clearly some kind of, like, cultural sameness that makes these movies successful, but it's full of a lot of assumptions about people and the way they interact, which is very frustrating to me. I think it's just, it's just where you get with Cameron. To me, it doesn't bother me, but it's just, you know, it's, 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 you know, different structure, different folks type of thing. It's something where it's like, I see where you're coming from, not a problem for me. <laughs> You know, it's like, and it's also just like, you know, compared to everyone else who's getting this type of money to make, like, blockbusters, like, I prefer that James Cameron's getting his archetypical movies where these characters have cliche relationships. Because you know what? At least they have relationships. There's been, okay, that's not true. The end of Inception makes me feel things, too. But, like, usually, like, like Christopher Nolan, like, his movies, there's no, like, feeling between the characters normally. I think Dunkirk gives me emotion. I think... Interception gets me emotion. I think Interstellar gets me emotion. But if you look at, I think Cameron is a better writer of dialogue than Nolan. Hot take, maybe. I don't think so. I think that that would be a very valid take by most people. Um, I actually agree with that. Um, I think I think that some of the like tough person speak of a James Cameron movie I really appreciate. Yeah, I don't think. Uh, I don't think, like, you know, I think Cameron can have clunky dialogue, but I'd rather have the clunky dialogue than it always being clunky exposition. Great, we do get that moment where, like, you know, they look at the camera and this goes like, yeah, these sell for 80... Honestly, is it, like, 80 million? I feel like that's pretty cheap for, like, a juice that can stop you from aging. That's what I thought, too. (laughs) But I guess I don't know how inflation is in the future. (laughs) It's not as bad as in Jurassic World, too, where I think it's, like... The bidding for these dinosaurs will start at ten million dollars. I'm like, ten million dollars for a dinosaur is really cheap. <laughs> like, yeah, what? <laughs> like, like with a couple billion, you can't even buy Twitter. Yeah, and so that's life juice. <laughs> but I guess also so. it's something where these this movies take like place two hundred years in the future. So I guess maybe we can be like, well, we, I guess we don't know how everything costs in general. Money is a weird concept anyway. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, you mentioned inflation. I feel like that makes eighty million even less. So well, but maybe it's opposite inflation when like the world's economy collapsed. Previous because there's like a bunch of deleted scenes for first after it's like yeah, Avatar, like Earth is really terrible right now, and they kind yeah. of all say it's like Earth is dying. Um, so it's like maybe like the economy's collapsed so much that eighty million is a lot of money for everyone. I don't know. Perhaps. All right, I think we've. Wrapped up. Yep. Yeah. What do you give Avatar The Way of Water? I'm going to give Avatar The Way of Water 
I'm gonna give it some whale juice. So it never ages. Uh, I don't think it will age. No, so I, I, th- I think we're, I think I gotta give it some whale juice because I am ambivalent about its value. <laughs> so um, what I'm gonna give it to is I'm gonna. All right. So hear me out here. I'm going to go to the ocean of Pandora. I'm going to deep dive just to recover one thing, and then I'm going to enter the arm of the whaler into the recombent program. So there's just this walking Navi arm going around, thing wanting to be Korch's sidekick, and uh, that's what I'm gonna give it: the recombent arm of the whaler. I like that. I should that's write that good... as a fanfic, honestly. That would be a good. Fanfic. The arm of the whaler. The recombent arm. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah. All right. I think that'd be cool. What's, oh. Oh, do we want to do New Year's Revolutions? Resolutions? Didn't you say you wanted to end on that? Oh, no, because <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> well, we kind of, well, here we are. All right. What's your New Year's Resolutions? For Danny. All right. We're, we're on our way back from Pandora in Avatar World now. What is my What's New Year's a, Resolution? Yeah. Ooh. Are we going to keep it to this podcast? Because I don't know if I want to be that open on like what my actual news resolutions are. Oh. Well, let's just end the damn podcast then, and then okay. we can talk. <laughs> 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 uh, this has been Avatar 2, The Way of Water. It's in theaters. The Way of Water connects us all. Yeah. What are we doing next time? Alright, so hear me out on this one. <laughs> we are watching a, I believe it's a VR short film. This is a disc, this is a detour. Because might I remind you, you know we're we just in 2022. This? Oh, it's on YouTube. So we're not going to okay. watch it in VR. Um, we are now going back to 2004. Post Incredibles. This is a detour directed by Sashka Unseld, who goes on to direct... The Pixar short film, The Blue Umbrella. This film is called Strasch der Specialsten. I probably butchered it. Um, it's on YouTube. I don't know what it's about. Hopefully it's not about strippers. <laughs> uh, yeah, who knows? All yeah. right. So, 2023 will be a year. Yeah. I'm trying to think of what's something they said as a... Uh, oh, we're good. Oh, I remember. Let's I remember. Go. Oh, yeah. Wait, wait. I got it. I got it. Mm-hmm. Mark, why so blue? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Looking for the Ocean is produced by Mark Young and Danny Vincent. Our original artwork was done by Sarah Knopf, and each episode is edited by me. If you'd like to be notified about new episodes, you can find us on Facebook at Looking for the Ocean of Pixar Journey, on Twitter at Pixar Journey, on Instagram at Looking for the Ocean Pod, and on our website, lookingfortheoceanpixar.podbean.com. If you want to know what I'm up to or find me on social media, you can head over to markyoungperformer.com. And if you'd like to see all my takes on all the movies, you can find me on Letterboxd at Blankman's. If you'd like to hear me on another podcast, I also have The Snub Club, a podcast about film history. We'll see you next time. See you next time.